Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show, Power Rankings Edition. Back in week five, we did a two-episode special, but Devin and I will surely go well above the allotted time that I think anyone would realistically listen to. So this will strictly be about the cumulative rankings that have been compiled by the grace of everyone sending me their rankings so promptly. I appreciate it, guys. Some surprises, some risers, some sinkers, but it will sure it'll be sure to stoke the flames of conversation as we, as we truck towards week 11. I will be joined by Devin in one second, but I'd like to thank you for listening to the Commission Wrap-Up Show, and your power rankings are next. So we're here, the most anticipated episode that we've had in five weeks. We have the power rankings. And of course, I am joined by the most handsome man in all of Suffolk County and debatably all of Nassau County, Devin Milligan. What's up, man? I'm not feeling very handsome these days, man, especially when I look at my fantasy lineup. But uh, I appreciate it. Dude, I really appreciate you getting on with uh, on with me on this day because, and believe it or not, it's been five weeks since we last did this. And just by going through the numbers and breaking them down and there's been a lot of change and I, I know you've seen the list, but I think you could speak to it as well. Big changes. This one. Uh, yeah. I think this one will be fun because uh, bottom and top, I, th- I feel like there's some uh, big ones here. Yeah. And honestly it was, it, it was not shocking, but in a lot of ways, as we go team by team, we'll talk about it. Um, some of the teams that moved, you were not shocked, but I, I felt like there should have been even more movement based on what's been happening so far in the league from week to week. Yeah, I mean, I think the middle the middle of the pack is pretty tough, and there's still some teams, and, you know, we'll talk about specifics at some point, but, like, there's still some teams where you're like, oh, this team, you know, the record isn't very impressive, and their point total is mediocre, and then, so I'm probably going to put them towards the bottom, and then you look at their roster, you're like, what the hell, this is really good, so uh, it's a little confusing, and I feel like sometimes if you can't really figure out clearly who's better than the other you know who's who's better than who you kind of just leave people around the same area sometimes yeah and it was definitely tough to track some of these down i mean people seem to be a little bit more like with some more urgency uh i think week five everyone got it to me within the day i had to track a couple people down to make sure i got them uh or maybe you could look at it on the other side sort of glass half full that people were really thinking about it and putting more thought into it and it wasn't as easy or like a layup because I know I had to sit there and kind of shuffle some teams around because they didn't feel right in some spots. Yeah, I had to go back to a few teams uh, and kind of ended up switching things as well. Um, you know, some were very clear and then others, it took a while to decide uh, who should be where. All right, so let's jump right into it. So I think with the best method of how we did this was we just switched from team to team. I know you probably have it open in front of you. Yep. Um, so I'll start with 10. And we'll go with the total points, the average rank, where they were last uh, last outing, and then the highest rank based on uh, where they were listed by the other managers. So number 10, we have the bottom beautiful piece of bread, Nick. Uh, so a total of 80 points, average rank of 8.8. Highest he was ranked was eighth. Lowest he was ranked was ninth. And he had no movement. So he's where, honestly, I think appropriately ranked He's had some bright spots like this week. He had a nice win this week. 
um, definitely came out strong. And uh, I'm sure you want to talk a little bit about that later. He looked good this week, but you know what? At one and eight, uh, two and eight, the appropriate spot is at the bottom of the standings. I think you would agree with that, right? Well, I mean, not so much. I was actually the only uh, person that did not put him at the bottom this time. Um, and maybe it's because I was getting my ass kicked by him this week and it just didn't feel right. But uh, I really, I, honestly, I, I feel like this team, it, it's dangerous and it's finally kind of hitting its stride a little bit. And honestly, this is the first time I looked at this roster and did not feel like it was all offense. And it's for a few reasons. I mean, Walker Bueller, I think, has been doing his thing all year. Like, he probably can do even more than he's done uh, so far. But he's, you know, he's done what he's supposed to do. Uh, he hasn't had any of those, like, you know, complete game kind of things that other pitchers have had. But when you have him and then Kershaw is pitching pretty well, uh, Taiwan Walker is great. That's a nice big three right there. And then you add in a guy um, like Sean Manaya, who seems to be coming back a little bit with these – even having those four and then some of these other guys that kind of go back and forth like a Wayne Wright and a Nathan Navaldi, but you can get some good numbers from those guys. Suddenly the pitching staff to me, it's the first time I looked at it and I'm like, that's eh, not bad. Like it even might have the potential to be good. And if that, if he can get that, the offense has always been very good. And I think you can agree with that. Like Nick Castellanos has been maybe the best, one of the best hitters in baseball all year long, like consistently all year. I, feel, I just don't feel like he's really hit a drought uh, yet. You got a Jose Abreu who probably actually hasn't even been as good as he can be. Like the lineup's there uh, and the pitching is kind of there. And not to mention, you got like one of the best closers in the game in Kenley Jansen. And we just talked recently in the chat about how there's like no dependable closers. There's like five of guys on good teams that are going to get plenty of chances and usually not blow it. And he's one of them. So I would not be that surprised to see Nick make a little bit of noise here. I know he's still got the lowest point total in the league, but uh, I don't know. I feel like he's kind of found his footing. A big thing for him is health. Um, like he needs a guy like Rendon to be in the lineup every day. And Rendon kind of, you know, the last couple of years hasn't been able to do that. But even a guy like Eduardo Escobar has hit the shit out of the ball all year, all year long. So I suddenly I see Nick as a little bit dangerous. I, I still put him eighth, which is not like, you know, a huge compliment, but it is moving up a little bit uh, in my eyes. Yeah. And I, I agree with everything you said there. And I have his lineup pulled up here and I think offense was never the question. I think pitching is pr pretty much the bane of his existence. He does get production, probably top production from, like you mentioned, the closers, because having played Nick, he sort of throws out Kenley Jansen and the Dodgers have him going out there day to day. He seems to be available back-to-back -back every week. So um, he's getting consistent production from the Dodgers uh, closer, Kenley Jansen. But offensively, like you said, J.D. Martinez is top 10 in points. Nick, Nick Castellanos is good for um, you know double-digit points on most weeks. So he had a down week last week. And there's been some weeks Nick could be staring at. Maybe he's sitting here at you know three and seven instead or potentially four and six. There were some bad luck losses. But if you look at the, this week, was probably – Best case scenario for him. Everyone is like clicking on all cylinders Had 134 points. And he showed that he could sort of hang with the big boys in the league. And this was the first week that he really did that. So I agree with your assessment that um, he can be dangerous. He can make noise. And there was a, there was a lot of time left, really. He can go on a run here and potentially 
have a little bit of a chance at a playoff spot. But I mean, obviously Nick wants to take week to week. He doesn't yeah, want to I get mean, ahead of himself, but yeah, looking at the, like his, like his output this week, he would have beat every team aside from uh, Perrier, Jimmy and me. So and he, he, he's, he's in the right division. I think too, I'll be honest early in the season. I thought my division, um, you know, with Alicia, myself, uh, Zada, Perrier and Nick, I honestly thought that was the stronger division. And I think it's completely flipped recently. I feel like you guys have the stronger division. I mean, he is the only team – actually, no, he and Perry are the only teams that won in our division this week. And so he's really looking at a 2-8 and eight record, chasing a 6-4 and four team in first place. Like, you, you never know. Like, my team's down right now. Um, I feel like Bizzada's team is down with a few injuries right now, too. So, like, suddenly he can put himself in the mix with a little bit of a streak. Like he doesn't need a crazy like six game winning streak, like a little three, four game winning streak is going to put him like in the vicinity of making some noise. And it really starts again next week because he has another interdivision matchup that he faces Perrier, Perrier hot off the win where he scored the most points. So if he makes a statement by beating Perrier back to back, this two division wins, he all of a sudden was 0 and 4 in division. Now he's two and four. That's where the damage has to be done. He has to win these matchups in the division and take advantage of sort of moving up as some teams, like you mentioned, are down facing injuries and take advantage of the fact that Alicia, who's the front runner of the, of the division, uh, she has not been um, the powerhouse she was in the first six weeks, six weeks of the season. So I guess let's move on to nine. I mean, I have a lot to say about Nick's team. Um, I definitely was impressed with it this week and I was impressed with it the week that I played him as well. So he has some two pretty quality wins. And he's had some weeks out there that he had just some bad luck. And that happens in fantasy baseball. And he sort of has been taking his lumps and maybe the tide is turning for him. And he could be looking at a nice little run here where he can at least be competitive the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, no doubt. I think he has a shot. I, I think he's going to, um, you know, every, every week I feel like you've been saying, oh, you should stay the course, stay the course. And there was a few weeks there where I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I don't know if he really should. It's like, but uh, I, I've kind of changed my tune on how I feel about his team. I think he's got a solid squad right now. Yeah, so let's move on to number nine. So who do we have at number nine? All right, so uh, coming in at number nine is Karen. Um, as far as the points she got here, 70 total points. Average rank was 7.78. Uh, the highest she was ranked is sixth, and the lowest – uh, was ninth, so not exactly the range of rankings you want. Six to nine there, lower tier, and she moved down two spots uh, since week five. So I feel like she was uh, getting a little more respect as the defending champion um, back in week five. You know, still not super high, but people were giving her the benefit of the doubt, and uh, people kind of changed their tune there. Um, I actually had her as my bottom team here. I know record-wise and point-wise, it's hard to make that argument. Like she really probably shouldn't be down there. I just, when I look at her team again, I don't think there's a bad team in this whole league. I really don't. I think usually the bottom team or the bottom two teams, you look at the roster and you're just like, Oh, this like this team shouldn't have a chance any week. I, I can't say that about the league this year. I feel like every team has a chance to beat anyone else uh, week to week, but nothing really jumps out at me when I look at her squad and one, I, I think I said to you recently, I think her whole team is clearly like built on versatility, like having a lot of different position eligibilities, which don't get me wrong. Like that's super helpful. Um, but I just don't see it like a breakout potential there for that team. 
And the one thing I would like to see, and it's hard for me to say this after the week I just had and what happened to my team, but um, she's known for not like making any moves. And I'm not really talking about trades. She like doesn't make ad drops unless she's forced to. She had zero pickups this week, zero last week, I believe. I didn't look any further back than that. She's and lowest just, in the league. She's 20. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just wonder if the occasional well-placed stream would change anything for her team. Like we'd have to look back, but like, was there any week that was so close where if she had just pulled the trigger on one stream, like she found a pitcher with a good matchup, would it have changed it for her? And I don't know if she's like totally against that, if she's like super stubborn when it comes to that. But um, yeah, to me, if, if she does have an approach of never using streamers, I think that's too rigid. Like I, I feel like she's going to need to change that if she wants to make noise. I mean, with that being said, you could easily argue back against me and like look at everyone I streamed this week and be like, look what look what happened to your team. It's fucking a nightmare. So, um, but I do wonder what her like true feelings are on about that. Is she like willing to stream every once in a while, or is she dead set against it? Yeah, I mean, in a ten-team league, you probably could say goodbye to Ben and Tendi and just say, you know what, that's going to be my roster spot that I'm going to swing a starting pitcher from week to week. And on the other side of the coin, you could say you want to make those choices for if Ben and Tenny's going to be in the lineup. Like today he hit a home run. Not that it mattered. The matchup was far out of reach from her and Travis, but you don't have to make those decisions. And I, I keep repeating that each week in the wrap-up shows with these teams with long benches and long offensive roster choices that you're going to eventually make the wrong decision that despite the Yahoo matchups and the stars and you do all the research, it doesn't matter. You're going to leave points in your bench and that could be the difference week to week. Again, Anytime you, you score 85 points or like, I think she scored 85, yeah, 85 points this week. I just pulled it up. That's not a good sign. So, you know, just by default, you can almost put up a hundred points. And I know I'm sort of speaking to your team now who scored 93 points. That's a really bad week. And maybe you have to hope it's a blip on the radar. And I think honestly, she's more of the team that um, is sort of in the hunt. Her average points per week is 128.86. So she's always in the mix and her team is well-constructed, but I agree with you. I think there's some room that you need to have some flexibility that you may have a week that you're only going to get one start from each of your guys. And you need those extra starts, especially like I know Travis is an, is a known streamer. I do it as well. And it backfires, but sometimes it really helps you out and it puts you in, uh, you know, ahead of the race. If you're only starting eight guys and you're getting 15 starts, you know, just by pure math, uh, you're going to be ahead of the game. No doubt. And it's interesting. I know I have the stats in front of me, like stat categories again. Um, and I kind of like circled who's first in each category, who's last in each category. And when you go down the list, like most teams are first in at least like one or two categories or last in one or two categories. Her team is just like not first or last in anything, which I don't know what you take from that. Like it's not necessarily a bad or a good thing. Um, well, actually, she's first in singles, so she does have one thing. Uh, so she, her team is first in the league in singles. That's actually as of last week because obviously this didn't update yet. Um, but it's, again, it's just one of those, like nothing really jumps out. Um, and I just don't see like that breakout potential on her team. But with that being said, like sometimes that whole, just staying the course thing while everyone else like panics, like I am right now, <laughs> sometimes that's the, uh, better way to go. But we, we, we've said a few times, like she won her title in the 60 game season, which might've been more difficult than any other season. Uh, and that approach she had of like the calm demeanor, not doing too much 
worked in that 60 game season. And it's, we're kind of seeing, trying to figure out now, can that work in a full season? And I don't think we have our answer yet, but uh, I think as far as putting her towards the bottom, it's like a right now kind of thing. Like not necessarily thinking like she's clearly the worst team in the league. It's kind of thinking like right now with how the teams are doing, that's just like how people feel, I guess, at this point. Yeah, and we want these power rankings to be a snapshot in time. So, you know, we can sit here and try to predict the future, but I think the best way to approach the power rankings, at least this is how I do, and it seems like this is how you do it. We want to sit here and actually take a picture and just say, as of right now, quality of the teams, let's rank them. And I think you're right. I mean, I had ranked her. Let's see where I put her. I'm pretty sure I put her eighth as well, and I did. Um, but the difference between the points, it was 10 points between Nick and Karen. So for the majority of the league, everyone felt like Nick was the, the worst team in the league, but you know, we could sit here and, and make all the points about it. In a 10 team league, there's a lot of offense and a lot of pitching. Maybe not a lot of pitching. There's a lot of offense and a lot of points to go around because of the fact that it's not as thinned out as if you would have had a 12 or 14 team league. Um, but like any week, like you said, it's sort of like the parody shows itself where you have a team like Nick who is, by large majority, the worst team in the league, point-wise, record-wise, all of that, he still scored the third most points in the league. And that just is a testament to, I guess, the parity and the, the quality of the teams and the managers in our league. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 right now, it's usually eventually, like, at some point, you feel that separation of, like, the clear top tier, like, three, four teams, and then the clear bottom feeders. I just feel like it's, like, that the whole, like, any given Sunday thing that they say in football – is still true to this point. And like we've been saying for a long time, it's still early. It's still early. Like I still, I know there's still several weeks left, but I think the whole it's still early thing should be dead and gone. I think we've officially reached the point where like, it's not still early. Like we're, we're in the thick of it now. Um, and I, I feel like this is maybe the latest I can remember where you still feel like all 10 teams are pretty close to each other. Yeah. And looking at like the final standings for after this week, Jimmy's going to move to six and four. I'm going to fall to four and six. Karen's going to go to four and six. And then Greg will be at five and five with the pack leader being Travis at eight and two. And I think the difference between Travis and say even Greg, um, who is, you know, a couple of games back from him, the difference is like, you know, so thin it's marginal at this point. So I, I just think even Travis who built up a little pad for himself has to be sort of like worried about pulling away. Cause all season, it seems like people are going to be nipping at him. But with that being said, let's move to number eight. So this person had 64 total points. The average rank was 7.11. Uh, highest ranked was five. Lowest ranked was nine and dropped three spots um, from, last, uh, from last time we did this week five. And this is Mike Perrier. So um, having felt the wrath of his team this week, I think if people ranked him next week, we would be seeing a different sort of picture. Obviously, this was – I mean, he was having a good week this week when people were putting it together, but I think they they did it before week 10 happened, and he had his, probably his best week of the season. Um, he was firing on all cylinders. He evened his record to five and five. Um, I do like his team. Offensively, he has a lot of uh, different ways to beat you, um, and he's one of those guys we talk about the catcher position. Yasmani Grandal is one of those catchers that is sort of week to week is going to be streaky. Um, but this was one of the weeks he put up a lot of points. So he's in the, like the thick for the White Sox hitting home runs and he's going to be on a little run right now. So he got a lot of production from his catcher. The other thing I really liked is the fact that Marcus Semien is probably the steal of the draft. 
He right now is probably the cream of the crop as far as shortstops, shortstops go. Um, and he's been an absolute monster for him. And he destroyed me this week. And like he put the finishing touches on what was a great week for Perry offensively, um, which is a two four day with another home run. He's been absolutely amazing. Um, and then looking at his pitching staff, and this is despite the fact that he's overcoming these inju- injuries, like he he's overcoming the Michael Conforto in- injury. He had to deal with the trout injury before he traded him. So there's been a lot of injuries to deal with looking at the pitching staff now sort of well-rounded now when you have Woodruff in the fold from week to week, having him there really kind of pulls everybody up. So replacing Blake Snell with like, so what do you probably expect from Blake Snell is what Brandon Woodruff is. It sort of like gave his team a whole new facelift. And I think the trade looking at it now really helped him out. And I think Perrier, despite being ranked pretty low by most teams, um, I ranked him personally six, but I think he's right there. And he's probably, you know, he could be one of those teams that gets sneaky hot at the end of the year. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. Like a lot of those thoughts are my own as well. And I had him ranked five. I think this is the sneakiest team in the league right now. Like he's kind of been down all year towards the power rankings, you know, the standings he's floating around, like no one's really noticing him. And that deal, it's just weird because you trade Mike Trout away. Like you feel like a lot of people are, you're going to get shit on, right? I love that deal. Like, don't get me wrong. When Mike Trout comes back, he may very quickly make us hate that deal. Um, But like right now, it just, it's so nice for him because here's the thing. Yes, Mike Trout is great. Perrier still has one of the best offenses in the league. Like, if that squad stays healthy, they're going to produce week in, week out. And then you get a guy like Conforto back. Even a guy like Joe Adele, who's actually tearing it up in AAA this year. I know he had, you know, 30 or so games last year where he looked very unimpressive. But, like, this guy's been a high prospect for a long time for a reason. Like, if you add him to the fold or flip him for something else, uh, who knows? Uh, I think he's in really good shape. And similar to what I said before about how, like, I always thought Nick was all offense until recently. Very much feel that way for Perrier now. Like, Musgrove and Stroman have been better than anyone could have imagined. I know, like, they were highly thought of, but not this to this level. And then like, you just go down the list. Discofani, I know he's had a couple really bad games but he's the kind of pitcher who can just, I mean, he's two complete games. Like who thought that was going to happen? He was passed around a few times uh, through the league. And then Perrier was finally the guy to hold on to him. I'm telling you, that makes a difference every year. There's a few players that get passed around and the team that finally decides to hold on to him for a little bit ends up being a big winner. And I think that's one example there. Um, But yeah, you just go down the list and it's weird. Like before he got Woodruff, you felt like he had a bunch of like number two kind of guys, like even Stroman and Musgrove are really, really good, but they're still kind of like number twos. Right. And now you finally have your ACE Add a guy like Alex Manoa in there too. Like that, he looks like he could, uh, you know, give him a little shot in the arm as well. And then maybe adding a Chris sale after the all-star break on a good team. Everyone thought like, Oh, they're going to wait a long time. Cause why is he going to come back with a shitty Boston team? You know, preseason people, this is what people were saying. And no, it turns out Boston's actually good, like with uh, Cora back in the dugout. So I I think that's exciting for him. Obviously, the Noah thing, uh, it got pushed way back. So I don't think he's getting much there. But the pitching staff looks good. And like 
Trevor Rogers. I haven't even said his name. I think I talked about him last time. This guy's a stud. Like if you sit down and watch a start for him, you're going to, you're going to want to draft him next year if he's available. Um, so I, like I said, I'll repeat it. I think this is the sneakiest team in the league right now. And I would not be surprised if his team stays healthy to be seeing his team in the semifinals uh, against somebody else. Yeah, I agree with that. And honestly, the Chris Sale move can't be understated because he had the foresight to roster Chris Sale and hold on to him. And no one could have foreseen the Red Sox being as competitive as they are. And just last week, Adam Adovino posted a photo on his Instagram story of Chris Sale in full uniform throwing off the mound at Fenway Park. And he's probably closer than you can imagine. And August will be here. And that's right during the stress where everyone's going to be sort of trying to fortify their rosters and get them ready for a playoff run. And Perrier could be throwing Chris Sale as, an, as a late acquisition to a team that already has a solid pitching staff. You know, I would it would not shock me to see Perrier to be one of those teams that I, I honestly, I can't find a hole in it, truly, especially like he got the value from Chris Bryant, who now has the versatility of all those positions. Usually Chris Bryant was just first and third. Now he has every outfield position. Look at Brian Reynolds, too, who may go to a, uh, a contender at the at the deadline. He's another guy for Pittsburgh. Same thing with, um, you know, with Brian Reynolds. He's he's going going through and he's he's playing well on an offense that doesn't have a lot of support. So if he goes to a team that maybe he can get on base and get driven in a couple of times for a contender, he can his value be even further up there. Uh, Brandon Crawford, he's the like Perrier finally picked him up. You know, Brian Crawford was out there on the waiver wire for quite some time. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm like, should I pick him up? But I have a million shortstops. Brandon Crawford's been crushing the ball for San Francisco, who, you know, don't look now. They're in first place in the NL West. So not to mention Jose Ramirez. And like I mentioned before, Marcus Semien. I love Kyle Tucker. A very well-rounded team. And I'm, you know, I'm not gushing over it right now. And obviously he's ranked uh, eighth overall. And, you know, the league feels a certain way. But I think he's more middle of the pack right now. And I think, you know, week 15 when we do this, it wouldn't shock me if he makes a big jump like some of the teams made at the upper echelon of our league. Yeah, I agree. To me, the his ranking is, in my opinion, the most incorrect ranking that we have on here. Like if I had to pick one team that is in the wrong spot, like clearly in the wrong spot, to me it's him. Um, I think his team, it, to me, it's just – if he just keeps it like it is, I think he's set. Like, just leave it at this time. And then, uh, you know, if you can make another deal towards the deadline, just giving a prospect up or something to fortify it, it's super dangerous. Um, 100%. 100%. So, uh, I guess we move to number seven. Um, seven on the list is Greg, who for him, with all the respect he gets in this league, is, is low. He 56 total points, 6.22 was his average rank. Uh, the highest he was ranked was four, so someone still put him in the top four there. And the lowest uh, was eight. And he's moved down three spots uh, since week five. So when I look at his team, this is what it, I told you as well. Like when I see his record and the point total, I kind of have the thought of like, I'm just, this team's not really delivering this year. And then he's the team I was talking about before where you look at the roster and the roster just does not match the performance. I feel like every time we've done this, this is, what, is exactly what happened. I've, I've clicked on his team. 
thinking I'm not going to like a few things based on the record and the performance and some of the low point totals in certain weeks. And then you look at his team and it's like, there's so much to like, especially now with the Fernando Tatis in there, who's been unreal. It's just confusing. And I know one thing that's got to be a little bit scary to him is the Bellinger hamstring thing, like how serious that is because that could mess things up big time. But like, you got a guy like Tatis, you got a guy like Jesse Winker, who's been unreal this year and a bunch of other really nice players mixed in, like not even mentioning Freddie Freeman, like the defending NL MVP. And then, so you, you scroll down a little more and think to yourself, all right, well, it must be the pitching that's holding him back then. And what do you, what are the first three things you see are Shane Bieber, Glass now and Lance Lynn. It's like, and then Kevin Gossman, like you always forget to uh, mention this guy who's been unreal. So, I'm still trying to figure out like what's going wrong, wrong for him. And I know you could say luck, but the thing is, like we said, there's been a few weeks where he's had a pretty low point total. So I, I don't know if you can point to luck in this case. When you look at his roster, are there any like obvious reasons that he's kind of like fallen down in the power rankings and kind of record wise middle of the pack? No, I honestly can't. And looking at his roster, it's, it's very deep. I mean, Jesse Winker is third overall in points. The fact that he got that production from the, the spot where he drafted him. And then Shane Bieber's 15th overall in points. I mean, Glass now is a victim of the, the Rays' inability to let him finish games, but he's top 40 in points overall. So he's like, he's allowed to go seven. He's allowed to go eight sometimes. I can't find it. I mean, maybe the, he doesn't have a closer, but that's not really going to make the difference from week to week. He has Barnes from, from Boston, who's not great. And then also he has Fairbanks, who shares the role with four other people in Tampa. Um, maybe that's the one thing I can say, like, all right, maybe go out there and grab a, a closer. But, you know, I don't think that's really what's making a week-to-week decision from like five and five. But you know what? I think the biggest thing that kind of held him up was the injuries. A lot of these guys had spent some significant time on the IL at different times. And you could have the, the factor of maybe people are slumping at the same time. But looking at the roster on paper, there is literally no hope. I mean, his roster has Jorge Soler, who hit, what, he had 50 home runs two years ago? I mean, he's been really bad this year. But if that's the guy that's you sort of sitting and you'll start him whenever you need to, unbelievable. Um, and I think Greg is one, one of those teams that will be there at the end. He's 5-5. Five and five. It's probably where you want to be. I mean, at, at some point, being yeah, at 5-5, you and five, you're in the mix. You're in the mix. So I think he'll be fine. Um, in the beginning, I was a little worried about Shane Bieber that he wasn't as dominant as he is, but looking at his numbers, I mean, he had a bad outing today and he's had some stinkers thrown in there, but for the most part, he's been consistent and he's been all you can kind of ask for. Um, and especially ranked 15th overall in points. And some of that gets kind of skewed. I think he had a complete game and thrown in there. So that skews the numbers a little bit, but he goes, you know, he gets the quality starts and he's striking out, you know, upwards of 12 guys, low end, maybe like seven or eight. So he's, you know, he's doing his thing for Greg. And I, I think maybe when they all click on the same, same spot, I think they'll be, you know, he'll be rising up the power rankings, but like you said, you can't really find a hole. Even like jazz Chisholm is one of those waiver wire finds. He's on his team came off the IL and he's on his team too. So that's another young player that I cannot find a hole in this team, but for some reason they're like Jekyll and Hyde. There's, there's been a few weeks that he scored almost only 80 points. How is that possible? Yeah, and maybe, maybe it's just, again, pointing to that parity of the league. Looking at the stat categories, uh, he's not first or last in any offensive categories, at least as of the end of last week. 
um, which I guess, you know, shows you kind of middle of the pack. And it's just surprising to me because when I look at that offense, I guess some of the guys, you know, like Stanton and Bellinger have been hurt. But if those guys are in there, as you feel like that would change, like they kind of jet up to the top of some categories. Um, and then pitching wise, the good news for him is he leads the league in quality starts with 57, which is only one more than the next best. Um, but for the interesting thing I can point to, and maybe this does show a little bit of bad luck, 57 quality starts, which is seven more than I have. Now, follow me here. So he has seven more quality starts than my team before this week. But my team, this is crazy. My team has 13 more wins pitching-wise. So, like, he has seven more quality starts, and I have 13 more wins. So what that shows me, like, without actually looking at each quality start, is that a lot of those quality starts didn't, you know, they got ruined either by bullpen or they got kept in too long and didn't end up getting those extra two points with the win. So like if, if you can keep on getting those quality starts, you, you, you would have to think that luck is going to change a little bit. And some of those quality starts will get cashed in for wins. Yeah. I mean, with the quality start and the win, you're sort of double dipping on the product production of your pitchers. The quality start is sort of to assure a guy like Jacob DeGrom is appropriately accounted for as far as production goes. But like you said, you can't discount wins. We're still getting points for them. So if he's not getting wins for those guys that are going out there and throwing these quality starts, that is damaging from week to week. Like if you take away the win from every guy that got a quality start, you know, that's two points here, two points here, two points here. It starts to add up and week to week, it could really make a difference. So again, that, that could be bad luck, like you said, or it could just be the fact that you're playing for offenses that are not as, you know, look at Shane Bieber. Shane Bieber is playing for the Cleveland Indians and pitching for them. And I don't know exactly how many wins he has because I really don't pay attention to wins personally. But that offense is horrible. So it's sort of like Jacob DeGrom. You could be going out there and just, you know, maybe not getting the run support, but he's still going out there and pitching, you know, like the amazing pitcher he is and having double GKs and only giving up less than three runs. Um, but he's not getting that win. I mean, DeGrom's the same way. So that could make the difference for him. I think the only the only hole I could find is really the bullpen. If he really wants to sort of be greedy and like make his team perfect, I go out there and secure one of those those closers. But if you're doing that, you have to trade something and get them. And it's like Robin Peter to pay Paul. Like, what are you going to trade one of your starting pitchers for Kenley Jansen to Nick? And then you're going to be your starting pitcher will be a little bit worse. So it's like you have to kind of look at it and weigh it out. What is the what is the benefit of maybe shoring up those weaknesses? But yeah, let's move on. I think we did a, a lengthy discussion on Greg. Let's go to number six. So this person had 48 total points. Average rank was 5.33. Highest rank was three, which I was shocked. And lowest rank was seven. Um, and moved up two spots since week five. And that was me. So I'll let you start talking about my team first. And then I'll add like my anecdotes because I'm like too personally attached to it to speak objectively, I think about it. So give me your feedback about, I think three's too high. I think seven's too low. Um, I think I'm pretty appropriately ranked in my opinion. I would agree. Like the sixth spot is the last playoff spot. And I think you've done exactly what you needed to do to get yourself back there, uh, which for a few weeks there, man, it was looking like you were just going to kind of sink out of that picture. Uh, but you had the right approach. Like you kept on saying that, you know, you knew it was a long season. You had plenty of opportunity to put a, a run together to get it back in. And that's all you need to be is in the top six to then get in there and make some noise. Um, 
I mean, you look at a guy like Jose Altuve and man, like how much hate he gets, but how good he has suddenly been. Like, I don't think I realized it until maybe a week and a half ago, how good this guy has been. Like he's been huge. He's been on fire. Um, Maybe the main fire starter on your team. Uh, Tommy fan fam. I just watched him the whole weekend against the Mets. He really looks like he's locked in right now. And that that's huge for you. Randy Rosarena. I feel like we were shitting on him early. And now he's kind of back. Uh, obviously, nice grand slam for you today. Um, yeah, it got me close with the grand slam and, today. And then the big one, uh, which, it, you know, he's not on fire yet, but it looks like he's turned a corner and he's he looks comfortable. Fans are cheering him now. Uh, and that's Francisco Lindor. And that's huge, whether you want him for a trade uh, chip or whether you want him in the in the lineup, like to have him there is is enormous for you. So the offense, while I, I still don't think it's like top tier in the league, I think you've kind of stabilized it, um, which is a huge help. And then pitching wise, I mean, I, I don't think this has ever really been the question for you. Like Corbin Burns is probably going to be Corbin Burns more times than not. I know this week he had a kind of abbreviated start, disappointing. Um, but just last week he put up 13 K. So like, I, don't, I, I think you're okay there. Um, I, I'm, impressed in a way that you still have Luis Castillo on the roster. Um, obviously a guy like Otani fun to watch singer. You need more out of the guy. And I think the big question mark for you now, which could determine which way you go for the rest of the season is, is the Scherzer thing. Like I know he said, you know, I can probably make my next start, but groins are tricky, man. And the way he reacted, it didn't look like anything super minor, obviously better than an arm which we, I think we all thought it was an arm thing at first when we heard the report. Um, I think you're in good shape, man. The point totals you've put up the last few weeks are super impressive. Uh, so I think, like you said, I feel like as your roster is constructed right now, that six spot is pretty much perfect for what you have going on right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's obviously frustrating to lose this week, but, uh, you know, silver lining is I scored 136 points and I'm now chasing a certain point total in my brain. If I score hundred over 130 points and I lose, it's sort of, I, I ruled as bad luck. So I scored 136 points. I outshot the mark. Um, offensively, I'm getting a lot of production from a guy like Tim Anderson, Lindor. I'm making this tricky shortstop situation work between the four, the odd man out with Mondesi, Turner, Anderson, and Lindor. And the decision has been made for me, obviously, because Mondesi fell back on the IL. Um, and I'll continue to have to make the decisions as time goes on about who plays and who doesn't. And I hate that. I've been trying to move one of the shortstops, but I don't want to make the wrong decision. And there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about Trey Turner and the, the Fernando Tatis Jr. deal. And it looks terrible right now. There's no way around. There's no way around it. It looks awful. Tatis is playing lights out. He's a superstar. But I will always lean on the fact that that shoulder eventually, whether it be this year or next year, something will happen to it and he's going to miss extended time. And I didn't want to have that playing him every day and worrying about it. When I know Trey Turner is going out there every day, he's playing 160 games, 158 games. He goes out there and plays every day. And I know what I'm getting from him. And it's not like I'm getting scrub production. I mean, the guy is 50 Frank, 55 overall in points. He's not Tatis right now. He's just not but he's going to have spurts where he's better than Tatis because baseball is a game of slumps and Trey Turner right now. I rely on him. He's, he's in the lineup every day. I see that little green check Mark and he's someone I can rely on. I can't say the same about Tatis. 
Yes, Tatis is in the lineup on, on a daily basis. Yes, Tatis is killing the ball right now. But I think if people want to rip on me for trading him, it's fair. But also, you're not taking into account the decision-making that I made. I caveated the whole thing with the fact that I traded Tatis because of the injury. And I'm kind of securing my team to not base myself around because really my whole offense was based around him. And if I didn't get anything from him, I know when he went down in week two or week three, whatever it was, I looked at my roster and I was screwed because I had no one there to replace him with. Yes, I could have tossed Modesty when he came back. Yes, I could have picked up Brandon Crawford, but there's no Trey Turner on the waiver wire. And I wanted to at least get some value out of him before he winds up back in the IL. And I hope he doesn't wind up back in the IL. He's exciting to watch. But in my opinion, he eventually will need time on the IL for an extended period of time because the shoulder thing is something that just doesn't go away. And I'm happy right now he's playing well. I really am. I'm, there's no sour grapes. But I'm going to sit here and be happy with the, with the trade, and I do it all over again because of the fact that I'm still worried that he's going to either – not to mention, too, he's injury-prone with the legs as well, with the calf. It's just the style of play he has, and I don't want to have it on my roster when I'm relying on it from, day, from week to week. So there's my rant well, you're, on it. You're better than I am, man. I, I think I'd be like – I'd be shedding a tear each time this guy did his little hop around third. Um, but I, I, I give you credit. I mean, the, uh, the guy you got back for, like you said, is, is a quality – player obviously that's in there every day durable so i i see where you're coming from i think it gets a little harder to defend each week that tatis is in there healthy and explosive but i get it but what i would ask you then in turn is you're sitting there watching and you see the scherzer injury do you have the same thought of like thinking like all right i need to wait till this guy comes back shows his stuff and then i'm going to try to jettison you know maybe consistent not consistent because Scherzer is consistent but like I guess my question is are you worried that he could now be that same kind of thing like I have this guy that could pop his groin at any time and I'd rather have some someone else who maybe doesn't have the point totals but will be out there every fifth day undoubtedly um while you know your question makes sense and like you definitely can reason that the difference between pitching and offense is you know to me, there's a huge difference and there's no, you can't find the pitching and I wouldn't be able to get semi-equal value from a Scherzer deal. If I was going to be trading Scherzer, it'd probably be for offense. I don't think anyone would be trading, you know, any pitching to me for any deal because of the fact that it's so thin out there. And also for Scherzer has the track record, really. Tatis, if you look at his full scope of his career, I think he's played overall 160 games. So Scherzer has a whole you know, 14 year career to base his consistency on. And despite his arm angle and despite the fact that it looks like his elbow is going to fall off, he somehow goes out there week to week. And um, yeah, I'm worried about the groin injury and yeah, I'm worried it will happen again, but I think the risk uh, is just always going to be there. And the pitching is you, you can't find it. So I, I knew I could replace Tatis with a similar, like maybe like a, a poor man's version of what he does. I don't think I'd be able to find an equal deal that makes sense. I'm always open to deals. Like if someone wants to offer me a deal for any of my players, as you know, the shop is always open. So if someone offers me something for Scherzer and they want to quote unquote buy low on him, I'm all about it. But in my opinion, I don't think you're going to be able to find that equal value or like maybe like a little bit below market value that for Scherzer, if I was going to trade him just because I'm worried about the injury, like I can't even think of a pitcher that I would trade him for 
just because of like what the you know the, the ceiling that Scherzer provides, you know. And I know that's sort of con- you know contradicted what I'm saying about the Tatis thing, but I just think the track record for, for Scherzer speaks for itself. While Tatis, he really has nothing to show for it aside from a lot of IL stints in a very short time in the major leagues. Gotcha. No, that's fair. And, and, and I think you bring up a good point. Like pitching's just, it's different. It's, it's not the same in this league as uh, trading, you know, four or uh, uh, trading offense away. Um, so I'll give you that. But that's the first thing that, that came to my mind when, uh, when I saw the Scherzer thing, like, hmm, does Steve see this guy as potential damaged goods now or, uh, does he have faith in him? But and you're right, the guy. I've always thought now for like the last five years that this guy's arm is going to fall off uh, with the way he throws. And when you see him in slow motion, it's just like, how is he okay? Um, but like you said, he, he always seems to get out there and, and do his thing. Um, all right, so moving on to we're up to what number five, right? All right, so number yep. five, right in the middle of the pack, uh, is Bazada. Coming in with 46 total points, only two less than you. So you guys are pretty close. Uh, average rank of 5.11. His highest rank was also three, just like you. And his lowest was six. He moved up one spot. So not a huge change for him. Um, which, I mean, now when you see the week finished, it might be a little bit of a surprise to see uh, him above a guy like you, a guy like Perrier. Although he finished the week nicely. Like he was looking like he might end up having a pretty low uh, point total. And I feel like he had a nice, you know, 32 points on a Sunday, 31 points on a Saturday. So the weekend completely changed how his uh, week looked. Now he's still going to come away with a loss, but you got to feel nice about ending it that way. Um, When I look at his squad and I had him as number four, so just actually a little higher, I just see him. I know he's had a couple of injuries uh, that have hurt his team, but I just see his, team as one of those teams are kind of hang around toward the middle of the pack and then be dangerous in the playoffs if he's able to get in there um i do think he needs more pitching but honestly like i felt like i was saying that about almost every team other than a couple um and pitching is going to be hard to come by man like when this trade deadline gets closer and we do one of those episodes like maybe one or two teams can figure it out and what you actually have to hope for is you got to hope like two teams really do fall out of it and have to become sellers. Uh, But even then it gets super difficult because you can't trade just a bunch of draft picks to get a great pitcher and set the team up, you know, set the team that you're trading to up for the next year. Like you have to somehow convince them of another way to do it. Um, So never easy. And I, I think this year could be as hard as ever. Now, obviously Carlos Rodon has been unbelievable for him. He flirted with another no hitter today, which would have been, just incredible and actually probably would have maybe given him the win a huge comeback um max freed like he hasn't definitely hasn't been the guy even close to the guy that uh, bizarre has wanted him to be um but the last couple starts he's gone six so i think that's a good sign for him um lizardo i know he's kind of been on and off the, the, uh, his squad but obviously a huge huge disappointment um, I'm looking at Steven Matz now. He's come back down to earth a little bit, but overall been, you know, solid. Probably definitely better than anyone thought. Uh, Barrios, again, kind of underwhelming. So, yeah, I mean, I look at this team, and yes, Kyle Gibson's been very nice. He means is on the, the IL now. And the huge story 
and I don't know if there's been any updates since the last time we talked about it. The Severino thing, man, like I think uh, he's definitely depending on that guy to come back just like the Yankees were and give him something. So you look at that, you look at his IL right now, John Means, Severino, Zach Allen, um, uh, Michael Kopich, like that's rough. And I don't feel like he has enough. So I'm sure he's thinking right now, I'm going to have to make a move. And he's got Adley Rushman and Bobby Witt Jr. sitting right there as top-tier uh, NA guys that he's probably going to have to try to sell if he wants that kind of pitching. Yeah, I think Bobby Witt is probably the guy that people are going to be targeting because, like we talked about with catcher, it's sort of hard to sell people on a position that really you know, doesn't really have that much quality. I mean, you can – Adley may be one of those guys that's sort of a – a generational player, but I think Bobby Witt is sort of that versatile, exciting player, not Tatis, but similar to him, maybe like Whit Merrifield. And he could be a guy who has a lot of position eligibility and he would be attractive at the deadline. I know that if I was a seller, I'd be, a, he'd be the first person I call to get, because I think he's the most exciting, maybe MLB ready type of prospect that you kind of know is going to produce at this level. I'm looking at his draft from this year. And I know that there was a lot of conversation about him taking Max Fried in the third round in front of a lot of players, but looking at the players he did take him in front of, he took him in front of, I mean, you want to talk offensively. He took him before Rafi Devers, Jose Abreu, uh, George Springer, obviously didn't produce uh, Pete Alonzo, Nolan Arenado, Whitmerry field, uh, some pitching. You, you obviously kept Giolito there, but I got uh, Corbin Burns in the fourth round. I think I was the only one on him at that level. Um, some other pitching, Clayton Kershaw won the fifth round kept, but point being Lance Lynn won the fifth round as well. Point being is he sort of reached, I would say, I think by this point, we can kind of close the book on whether he reached or not for Max Reed. He did reach. And I think right now he's paying for it a little bit with his roster and the construction, but I think he sort of righted the ship with all these uh, waiver wire fines, but whether it be John means before the season started or Carlos Rodon, who he found on the waiver wire and then threw a no hitter for him. So he sort of made, he righted that wrong. Um, and even Kyle Gibson, who's been great for Texas. So he's sort of finding these guys on the waiver wire and fixing the pieces and sort of applying duct tape to holes. But I think right now what we're seeing is he's sort of trying to weather the storm. And when I saw him in person, he looked at his schedule and sort of looked at it as like a murderer's row. He had to go through with his next four weeks of scheduling. But I think if he gets out the other side of it, 500 or close to it, I think he'll be in good shape. And I think he'd be happy with that. Um, so looking at his scheduling, so obviously he lost this week to Greg, and that was a tough loss. But um, he's going to be facing Travis next week, and then he faces you again. And maybe there's sort of a soft landing spot in week 13 against Karen. So if he can get to week 13 being 500, I think he'd be happy. Maybe by that point, maybe he was expecting Severino to be back and producing. But he has to be hoping that John Means comes back, and he's got to hope that maybe Oakland starts to use Lazardo as a starter again. All these things have to go right, and there's a lot of question marks right now. But he's one of these teams that he's in the thick of all these injuries, and he just wants to be there at the end and get hot. So I think he's ranked a little bit higher than possibly he deserves right now, and I think he probably would agree with that. Um, I think he's more of like a six or a seven right now. Um, and I think he's trending downward, in my opinion. I think he needs to really weather the storm or he'll be in big trouble if uh, some things don't start to go right for him. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I, I, he's at five. I had him at four. Um, but at the same time, 
I have this, like, when I look at the roster and injuries and, and some of the underperformances and then the overperformances, I do feel like he's one of those teams where I expect him to be in the playoffs, but I also would not, it's weird to say, but I also would not be shocked to see him fall fast if a few things just don't get corrected or, or if a few of the guys who have been way better than anyone expected kind of come back down to earth. Um, I don't see him going higher than like the four spot. So I'll say that I feel like that's his ceiling. And I do think the floor can potentially be pretty low uh, if a few things fall certain ways. Uh, so yeah, a lot of, like you said, I think maybe, maybe the most amount of question marks uh, as far as teams in the league right now. Yeah. And I think there's going to be continued to have these question marks. I think we might, might have a little more clarity in week 15 to see where he came out of the other side of this tough stretch. Uh, if history serves him, you know, serves us right. I think he'll be right in the mix of it by the end. He always is. And he'll have to make the decision whether he believes his team is talented enough to compete or he believes that he's going to sell. But even in history, when he sells, he still constructs a good enough team to compete. There was that one year he sold off all his pieces and snuck into the playoffs. I mean, he didn't win a championship, but he sort of got the best of both worlds. So I'm curious to see what he does. I don't foresee him being a seller, but he is sort of very in tune with it. And he's not going to be delusional and feel like he has a championship contender. If there's a chance to get maybe a nice piece for some of those, the guys that he's not going to keep anyway, he may make the decision to do it. So I, I know that he's probably open to talking deals. I know in the, he's been talking to other people about maybe improving his team, but maybe as time goes on, he's going to be looking to improve his team for the 2022 season. Uh, so moving on to number four, this person had 29 total points, which was a, this is, so this is like the tier top four had a significant difference in points. So this was the unanimous top four. If you really could say it um, 29 overall points, average rank was 3.22 highest rank was one lowest rank was five um, and surprisingly dropped one spot in the standings, despite the strong showing. And this was you Devin. So um, I'm consistently ranking you high. I ranked you at three. I thought that, you know, I think you're better than Alicia and I, and I'll stand by that, especially it comes down to roster management too. It's not just the talent on your team. It's about managing it and managing the injuries and managing, uh, just the different pieces on your team, because you could have the rosters there, but you have to, uh, use them the right way and utilize them in the right spots. Um, I think right now a big piece for you obviously is the deal you made for Ronald Acuna Jr. Who's been everything you want him to be right now. He's obviously day to day. He's had some hiccups. Um, so he was removed today with the, the right pectoral thing I think he had going on. So that's something to watch out for, but he's sort of taken his bumps, but he's in the lineup almost every day. He's been in the lineup every day since June 1st, hasn't had even a day off. So that's been great. He's second overall in points. He's going out there and producing offensively. You're getting a lot from Mitch Hanniger who again, he's day-to-day as well. So you're sort of, you know, weathering the injury storm, similar to what we talked about with the Zada, but like you have to be super happy with you getting from Mitch Hanniger because what, you know, you couldn't even think that you'd be getting top 20 production from that guy. Um, He's sort of, he's sort of producing at the rate that you would probably expect George Springer to be producing. And I'll I'll let you speak on that in a second. Um, The magical injury hurts. I mean, he's obviously a light hitting second baseman, but he gets on base and he's consistent. He doesn't strike out. That's something that's very rare. So you toss him in the lineup. He's not going to get you negative points. Um, now pitching is um, sort of troublesome and I'm, I'll let you rant for a second about it. 
Giolito has shown spurts of being that guy for you. And he's sort of showing little snippets of what he did last year. And I think the year prior, um, and he's having some of those moments, but for the most part, he's been inconsistent and that's gotta be really frustrating, especially since he's someone that you really built your pitching staff around. Now the guy who was really carrying you was Jack Flaherty. And now Jack Flaherty finds himself on the IL and you're got to wait for him to come back and figure out a way to sort of bolster your pitching staff while he's gone. Um, other than that, I mean, you're really going to have to expect a lot from a guy like Casey Mize, who I'm sure you were not expecting to be uh, getting a lot from him this year, but he's been pretty good. So I'll give you the floor. I'll let you talk about your dudes. And um, I know you've been really frustrated, especially with your streamers. Yeah. Well, I mean, not just the streamers, just the pitching overall, man. Like, I think I said last time I was on here just for a weekly wrap up when Jimmy and I were on the same time um, that it was like the first time I was like, eh, not sure if my team is as good as uh, I thought it was, but you know, overall I was still optimistic. I think I put myself at the top of the four and four teams that week. Like I wasn't afraid to say it. And now man, like I've reversed course. Like I'm officially very worried. I think I'm way too highly ranked. Um, And I know I moved down one spot, but like I've lost three out of my last four. And this week, I really bottomed out. Now, with that being said, like, it was a relatively close matchup going into the weekend. And I had pitchers set up. I got a lot of pitching going. And they just – I've never seen a pitching staff bomb like this. I had 11 11 pitchers – 11 negative pitching performances this week, whether it be Chapman uh, blowing a save in, like, crazy fashion, just giving up bombs without recording it out. Or, you know, or a streamer that, like, you can't really complain about because that's what streamers do sometimes. But it wasn't just streamers, man. Like, 11 negative pitching performances. Like, that's that's a, that's unbelievable. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know that can be, like, a blip on the radar. But, like, when I really look at the roster, I'm legitimately worried. Because when Flaherty was here, I could kind of hang my hat on. He was probably going to give me a pretty solid performance quality start machine like his numbers were not gaudy by any means but like he's solid and then Giolito like you said like hasn't been the Giolito of last year but overall pretty solid so it's really not those guys that are tearing me up but like when I think of a team that should be scary in the playoffs I'm thinking of a team with three or four legitimately really good starting pitchers at this point and when I look at my team like I have Giolito you don't know how Flaherty's going to come back uh, Julio Arias for a while was great and now he's kind of been back and forth like overall I still can't complain like very good for where I got him um, but then like I'm counting on a guy like Rich Hill who has been very very good but you never know when he's going to get hurt the guy's old um, Domingo Herman, who's been I've been very happy with all year gets lit up today that makes me a little bit worried Casey Mize has been wonderful like I, I talked about um, someone before about holding on to a guy that was oh Descalfani so Perrier how he held on to him finally when he was passed around for a while Mize is that guy for me like I was the guy who finally held on to him and I've been right the problem is they announced like a month or two ago that they were going to try to find a way to maybe give him several like abbreviated starts uh, in the summertime or something like that to control his innings so like I can't hang my hat on him like I desperately want to keep him on my roster like he could even be a keeper for me to be honest like I think he's the real deal but like that's gonna kill me if this guy 
they start throwing him out there for like three innings or something like that for a month or two. Um, and now another guy like Michael Pineda, who was very good for me for a while, has finally kind of started to be Michael Pineda again. Like today he leaves the start with forearm tightness. He's getting very quickly getting to the point of droppable. I'd say the most disappointing thing with my team is in the beginning of the year, I was put close to the top of power rankings. And I'll be honest, I kind of agreed with it. Uh, not to be cocky, but I did kind of agree with it. And it was a lot because of my keepers, right? If we go back and look at my keepers, it was Giolito, Flaherty, and Story. And then my NA guys were McKenzie, um, Pearson, Sixto Sanchez, and Kalenic. If you look back at those seven guys, Giolito underperformed slightly. I won't kill him, but he's underperformed slightly for who he is and what you expect from him. Flaherty was great, but now he's hurt, and you don't know when he's coming back. Like, definitely after the All-Star break. Maybe significantly after the All-Star break. Story has not been the same Trevor Story, like, by any means, uh, even before the injury. And then you look at the four NA guys, and they've killed me. Like, these were guys I expected to contribute. Like, not just guys. Like, Jimmy has NAs. We talked earlier about how he's been waiting on guys like Hunter Green and Gore for many years. And I I give him props for being so patient, because those guys will probably pay off. But, like, Pearson, he started one game and he got blown up. He's back in AAA and he's pretty much getting blown up in AAA most days. So he's figuring it out. Uh, obviously, Kalenic was a big disappointment when he came up. I was super excited about it. I don't know. I, I, I guess he put too much pressure on himself. I think he'll be fine, but he's given me nothing and they'll probably leave him down there for a little while. He's been hitting well since he went back down, but still nothing there. Um, six, though. I desperately need this guy back. Like you, everyone knows he's a stud and he's going to be a stud, but he can't quite get his shoulder feeling right. So there's that. And then I'm missing one. Go- oh, Tristan McKenzie. I mean, I straight up dropped the guy at this point. Like he, he, his problem was never control. And suddenly he comes out this year and he can't throw a strike. I watched that game on MLB TV yesterday uh, when he walked the first two guys, then got another guy out and then kept on walking guys after that, couldn't make it out of the first inning. This guy had no idea where the ball was going. So, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if one of you guys picks him up, puts him in your N.A. spot, and hopes he comes back and looks more like the guy from last year. But I can't I, I can't fill a roster spot with him anymore. N.A. or not N.A., I, just, I couldn't have him anymore. So, all in all, man, like, I look at my team, and if you're playing me, I wouldn't be that scared of playing my team right now. Not to mention I made some poor decisions this, this week as well with like benching guys at the wrong time. Um, now Acuna Hanager possibly hurt for a little while. Still waiting for Springer. Apparently he's starting his rehab uh, thing, like rehab games Tuesday. We'll see how that goes. I don't know, man. I feel like I'm close to hitting the bottom of my season here. I hope, and hopefully I bounce back up, but uh, three out of four losses, and I don't feel like my team has gotten any better in that span. In fact, I feel like it's just gotten worse. So I'm worried. I do not think I belong in the top four by any means right now. Yeah. And we talk about this too, like the different way to wind up at five and five, it's much different. And you wind up at five and five in a, in a much different way than some teams wind up there and in a negative way. So finding yourself at five and five has to be disappointing, especially the fact that you said you lost three or four, you could be looking at, really climbing the standings, especially with Elisa struggling and dropping, you know, after her six and zero start, she's now sitting here at uh, six and four. 
So she could be easily, or she was five and oh, I'm sorry. So six, uh, six and four, you could easily be vying for the division lead or even have secured it by now. Um, but silver lining, you know, I want to talk about the optimist way of looking at things. You know, you're right in the mix and you're right there and you easily in two weeks, three weeks from now, you could be sitting at the head of the Delahante division. And, you know, all this sort of uh, troubling waters could be a thing of the past. But I don't blame you. Anytime you score less than 100 points, remember I talked about in the beginning about having a benchmark of wanting to score a certain amount of points. I think anytime you score less than 110 points, it's a really bad week. And you scored 93 points and, you know, just everything went wrong for you. Not to mention your guys didn't produce, and then you added a couple guys on board that were just losing points too. So add those guys to the squad, and that's not going to help out. Um, overall, though, I ranked your team pretty high, and um, I ranked you three overall, and I and I I stand by that. I think your team is better than Alicia's. I said that before, um, and I think it simply comes down to the fact that you're going to overcome these injuries, but you're going to be managing it day to day with a keen eye. And I can't say she's doing the same thing because I've seen some guys and we'll talk about it in seconds. So we're going to be talking about our team coming up. Um, just the fact that you're making the appropriate moves and putting guys where they're supposed to and keeping an eye on, is this guy coming off today? And is he going to be starting tomorrow and really just managing the day to day. And I think when you are sort of vying, especially in these months right now, where we're sort of, like you said, in the thick of it, what's going to define the difference of good teams and great teams might just be the difference, especially with talent all over every roster. It's going to be the difference of how involved and how um, locked in each manager is. And I think you're as locked in as it is. I mean, you're on this podcast with me right now, you're talking about the power rankings. You're as locked in as always. And I think that will pay dividends, especially in the, in the, in the long run, by the end of the season, I think it will show. I hope you're right, man. I mean, I'm playing Alicia this week. So I'm afraid I'm going to get my ass kicked, to be honest, with how things are going right now. But you know what? I should have known this week was a loss as soon as K. Brian Hayes hit a home run and fucking missed first base. Like, I should have just given, given Nick the win at that point because that was a bad omen. Um, but speaking of him, though, I will say, to, give, to say anything positive about my team, it's nice to get him back. He's been actually very good since coming back. Starling Marte is a fucking stud. Like, he was one of those guys I picked in the draft that I just was not excited about. I just, like, took him because it was a spot that I feel like I couldn't let him go. And I'm completely wrong about the guy. The guy does everything. Steals bases. I feel like I've seen outfield uh, uh, assists, like, in there a few times recently. Uh, RBIs, homers. He does everything. Um, so excited about him. And Sal Perez, you know, that's my dude at this point. The guy's been great. So there's been some positives, man. Like, I honestly feel like my offense, like, did nicely. Michael Brantley came back and put up 5.4 today. Like he's been hitting a bunch of doubles. So if I can get my pitching right, I feel like I'll be okay. But like right now it's a little bit of a mess when you look at my team. Um, but that's all I'll say. I know I complain a lot in the chat, so I won't complain anymore. <laughs> and you know what? You're using this platform appropriately. You're, you're selling the guys that potentially could be trade chips. I know that star Marte was on your block for a bit you may want to hang on to him because he's been everything he's been when he was an MVP contender prior to taking the steroids um, in Pittsburgh. But Miami has a lot of talent down, down there. And like, I think they're doing a really good job. I mean, look at the pitching staff and the guys they are producing, even like jazz Chisholm, who would have thought what he became. So that's a little side note as well. I mean, Miami's system has been yielding dividends 
over and over again, these guys. And the Star Marte was sort of a trash heap pickup for them too, because he was sort of damaged goods after leaving Pittsburgh and having that uh, the stain of the suspension. And maybe he's not the same player he is if he's not on the juice. Um, he's been great. So I really am impressed with Miami. The, all these pitchers keep, keep coming out of their system. It's like another guy. I think there's like literally four of them and there's, there's still more to come. Yeah. If they can get their position, uh, like players kind of figured out over there and like hold on to some guys for once, man, that team is dangerous in the upcoming years, man. You're right. Like every time they throw another pitcher out there and this is all without six though, like who probably along with Trevor Rogers, like those guys could be the one, two for a long freaking time. Like I, I know I don't want to see them like, I saw something on Twitter earlier and I forget the exact stat, but they, it was basically how the Mets pitching staff is like way far above anyone else in the league as far as in this pitching stat, whatever it was. And they said, they're getting a lot of publicity for it. Surprisingly, the team that is next on whatever this list was is the Marlins. Like their pitching is, is deep and we haven't even seen it all yet. I've seen a few other guys that are, you know, down in the minors that are high on the prospect list. So, you know, yeah, watch out for them for sure. Um, all right. So enough about me. Moving on. Uh, this person coming in number three spot has things have changed as far as um, where she is in the rankings and kind of the narrative, uh, what other people are saying about her team. This is Alicia coming in at number three, uh, which is actually down two spots. So she fell from the number one spot. Finally, um, 27 total points, two less than me. Average rank of three. So right where her average fell, highest rank two, lowest rank four. So surprisingly, not one person put her in the one spot uh, this time around. I will say, when you look at her team, I think there's not much that has changed here as far as, you know, positives and negatives. The positive is the offense is pretty incredible. Like, up and down this lineup, I mean, anyone would kill to have this offense. Uh, the pitching, you still see Jacob deGrom being unbelievable. And... After that, you're kind of like, oh, well, there's not much else there. Uh, Freddie Peralta, very nice. So I don't want to shit on him. He's, he's been great this year. Um, and Granky, you know, you're going to get some really good starts from him at times. But, man, like, the other best pitchers that she has are all in the IL. Sonny Gray, um, Eliza Hernandez came back and went right back in the IL. And we won't see him for a very long time. McCullers, May. So, like, this is super thin pitching-wise. Super. I mean, you know when you're rostering Chad Cool, Cool, however you say it, like you're you're in a little bit of trouble. He, she picked up a Bundy uh, after Perrier, uh, let him go, who has been really bad. I know he had a decent start for her, um, maybe for her earlier in the week if she had him already. But here's the thing: I think the reason she's fallen actually is not that because that's been her team all year, and people were putting her number one. Uh, the two reasons that you kind of alluded to, obviously, first of all, she's started to lose a bunch after being undefeated for a little while. Um, but I think the bigger thing is management. So the question when she started off, what did she start off? Five and all? Yes. Five and all. All right. So I think the question everyone had when she started off five and all was, all right, she started off five and all, but will we get that Alicia swoon where she kind of tunes out for a little while that will kind of take her out of it or, well, is this different? Is she locked in? She's 5-0. and She had a very good draft. Is she locked in now? 
And I think we've gotten our answer a little bit here, man. Like twice we've caught her recently with a guy who was put on the IL and she took days to get that person in an IL spot and fill it with someone else. And the other thing is I look at her team right now. And as of today, Sunday, June 13th, uh, Devers did not play. She could have put Urshela in. And don't get me wrong, Urshela had a bad game. <laughs> yeah, so she would have, it wouldn't have been a good thing necessarily. But like, you didn't know that going in. And then both of her utility spots are filled with guys that did not play today. And she had Charlie Blackman that could have been plugged in there. Uh, she still has Dylan Moore on the IL. I'm not sure when he came off, but he's, you know, he's, no, he's came back yesterday. So still hasn't activated him. So these are the kind of things that you see. And I also know, I believe it was Travis that had a trade offer on the table. It sounded like that never really got much of a response. I could be wrong. Maybe I haven't heard the update on that. So that's my worry here, man. Like, you got a league full of psychotic baseball people, most people that are looking at the app daily several times, some people who are checking it obsessively. Uh, now, can you overmanage? Yeah. Like, for example, I think I overmanaged this week, and I think it, I think I would have lost anyway, but it made my team even worse. But undermanaging to the point where you have people on the aisle that are not on the aisle anymore, and then people in your main roster that should be in the IL spot and then not putting people on your bench to fill in for others. Eventually your team's going to sink, man. That's just my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think it's showing right now. Like I saw that Sonny Gray came off the IL and I know he went on the IL, but he was sitting in the pitching spot and that's a spot that could be streamed. I understand that there's a lot of streamers that you pick up and could get negative points. And that happens sometimes. But for the most part, if you pick up, you know, matchup wise, if you stream the right guy, maybe be against Texas or Cleveland or Detroit, or depending on the matchup, it's better than zero. They may go out there and maybe only get half a point, you know, 0.5. And that's okay too. But I think you have to manage the roster and you, it's not set it and forget it, especially with all the injuries we have this year. And um, unfortunately for her, she is like, she really built the roster having a large offensive bench. And like today, the, there was only, you know, 0.85 left on her bench as far as points go, but that's 0.85 points that could have been towards, you know, to, towards this matchup. And she still would have lost, but you still got to look at the other, other way to, to look at it is you could be competing for the point title. And that could be the difference at the end of the year of potentially losing out on what would be like, so the award of winning the money or the, the trophy and the prestigious honor of winning that trophy, um, potentially, like you don't want to leave points on the table ever. Um, but managing the roster becomes the most important thing, and tending to the waiver wire becomes secondary. I think managing the injuries and making sure the right guys are in the lineup and playing the matchups and making sure. I mean, Yahoo on the app has set optimal lineup. Like, I think that's just like what it always is, right? Like, I don't even think you have to have a subscription for that. It just hits set out to the lineup and it puts people in the lineup. It literally is you do it for the full week. Am I wrong on that, Devin? Does it have that? I don't know. I've never used it. I've never really looked for it because I'm one of those people that's a little crazy, like just looking at my <laughs> lineup multiple times. No, but times I know there's a spot that you could like literally hit and it sets your lineup for the whole week. I'm pretty sure that exists on the iPhone. Let's see app. if I, if I, I'm trying um, to look at. Uh, so, like, so there's one on the app called Start Active Players that I see. That's the, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like, even if you hit that in the morning and just hit start active players and like, or maybe at like 1230, that will be the difference in like not having to look. And I understand everyone gets busy and I'm not starting to, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody, but majority of the league, I'm looking at it 
I mean, countless times. I'm, I have to stop myself because I'm like getting frustrated from literally at bat to at bat. So, and like you said, you can overmanage and you can sit here and make the wrong decision. But at the same time, you can't win matchups if you're leaving guys that are on the aisle on your starting roster. You just can't. You're not going to be able to overcome that despite the talent. You're really not. And I think it's showing right now, you know, ha- having her drop to six and four. Um, I'm not saying she would have won this week. And I'm not saying she would have won the, the, the other week she lost, but there was a chance, you know, you could be sitting here and have, you know, a d- definitely a different outcome. And it, it will eventually add up over time. So if you leave four points a week on the bench, every week that starts to add up. And then you could be looking at burying yourself in the standings. And she really sort of was trying to set up, set herself up to hide for a bit. And she did that for quite some time, but everyone seemed to catch up and that division's much, much closer, much quicker than we all thought it would be. So uh, my hope is that she, event- this will be like, sort of, like you said, the swoon that she has. And then she eventually locks herself back in. And I'm hoping that is the case again, because having her fully locked in like she was in the beginning of the year was great and definitely adds a lot of versatility to the league as far as like different personalities and different skill sets. So I'm hoping that she's fully locked in going forward. Agree. Yeah. And it's hard to tell, man, like I'm saying like, Oh, she probably didn't look today because she had these like lineup spots not filled and she could have, but then I'm, it confuses me sometimes of like how much she might actually be looking because then you look closer and Max Muncy was just put on the aisle yesterday, and she, he's in her IL spot. So, like, she did that. Um, and then I know she just dropped her shell today for Brandon Lau. Like, so she made a move. So it just confuses me that other simple things uh, sometimes aren't done. So, like, clearly she is looking on it, looking at it. I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say, like, if she's just missing something sometimes or, um, or if she's doing some of these things more purposefully than we're – uh realizing i don't know but yeah maybe maybe she didn't want to use the il spot for sunny gray for whatever reason that's above my sort of thinking about it so maybe there was a, a strategic thing is what you're saying but from what i'm looking at it's like it would just benefit you just to put them on the aisle and pick up somebody else especially when you have roster moves to use it's not like you're out of roster moves right i will say it, the, the vision's close uh, and I think right now, the way things are trending, the team that she should be the most afraid of catching her is Perry. No doubt in my mind. Like, I wouldn't be surprised in a couple of weeks to see him at the top, which is crazy because I'm looking at it right now before the standings update tomorrow, and he has a nine next to his name. But I think that could change super quick if things keep on trending in the direction they are right now. Obviously, before we move on from her, you ranked her three. Lowest she was ranked was four. Do you think you expected her to drop a little bit more than two spots, or is this about where you expect her to be ranked? I mean, I think you can make the argument either way. Um, it's weird because she had such a good start, but when I look at her team, I think her team is built the same way as Perrier and Nick's team. And for a long while, based on records, her team was obviously the better team, but now as things change, their pitching, especially Perrier's has got much better and hers has gotten worse. Some of them based on a lot of them based on injuries um, and theirs has gotten deeper. And honestly, as much as I've raved about her offense all year, Perrier's might be just as good. And on some days better, like she might have the AL MVP in Vladimir Guerrero, like Bo Bichette's been amazing. Uh, Dever, like she's got plenty. 
and Juan Soto, I mean, you can't beat that, although he probably hasn't produced the way you would expect at this point. I don't know. Perrier's offense might be better, and he's got the better pitching. Like, I, I, I could see them flip-flopping spots. Um, so as far as moving down to three, I think it's appropriate for now just because no one else record-wise is, is good enough to put in the top three um, and not have her there. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's really good. I mean, a really good sort of situation we have ourselves in where every five weeks we are taking a different snapshot. And I, I think when we were doing the power rankings from week to week, when we were doing the written version of the power rankings, it left us sort of like there wasn't much change. I think in five weeks we see a lot of change and it helps people really understand the scope of how teams sort of ebb and flow and find their way at the top of the settings and, and below. It's a long period of time. Five weeks can change a lot as we're seeing. Um, with that being said, uh, the most change we've seen was this person. 20 total points to sort of separate themselves. One and two separate themselves from three and four. Average rank was 2.22. Highest rank was one. Lowest was three. And this person moved up seven spots. It's like unheard of in a power ranking, especially in five weeks. I, a lot can change, but I didn't know that much could change. And this was Jimmy. And I think deservedly so. I personally ranked him at two. Um, I think his team has been really putting up statements. I think you said it last week, continuously putting up statement wins. He scored the most points again, uh, 140 even, right on the nose. And he consistently puts up points from week to week. And he's not just squeaking by, he's really making statement wins. And this was a huge statement over Alicia. And I, you know, I don't know, obviously you don't, it doesn't matter who you're playing as far as like how your team performs really. But I know the fact that he was playing her, he had to be happy to like make a statement against her, especially her being one of those top echelon teams. I mean, looking at that whole roster, um, Wilson Contreras, like when I mean, we talked about it last week from the catching position, most people are getting nothing. I think there's probably three catchers producing Wilson Contreras is one of them. Obviously Salvi for you is the other. Um, and maybe like JT, and every once in a while, Yasmani Grandal will come out of hibernation and start hitting the ball for a week. Um, but other, I mean, Shohei Otani has been absolutely lights out for him offensively. Ranks top 10 in points. He may be the AL MVP. I know you said Vlad before, but Shohei might be because of the fact he's doing it both ways. He's not pitching as well as he's hitting, but he's still pitching at a competent level to be sort of eye-opening. But offensively, he's been all that's advertised and more. I mean, he's, I think he was not even drafted or maybe he was late. But Shohei has been probably his MVP. He goes out there on a, on a nightly basis and kills the ball. Um, it's sort of ba baseball's worst-kept secret in Anaheim. No one's watching him there, so he has sort of the Mike Trout syndrome. But if you put this guy in a different market, he could be or, – or if he was marketed correctly because baseball doesn't know how to market their stars, Sherry Otani could be truly a, a, a Ken Griffey-level face of baseball. I think he's that exciting to watch, and I know – it seems sort of silly to say, but he has that swagger silently in a, in a way that I think he sort of transcends. He could transcend baseball. And I think he sort of gets lost in Anaheim. And if he was not there, I think we'd be having a much different conversation about what he's been doing this year. Um, I'll let you touch on that in a second about Shohei, but other guys on his team, Alex Bregman, sort of a part of the Renaissance tour of, um, of the Astros. He's not playing as well as, Maybe he will be at the end of the year, but he's still being, he's a very productive piece for Jimmy. It's top, top 50 in points. Uh, the other guy you really have to look at and he sort of reached for him was Ryan Mount, Ryan Mountcastle. 
who he reached for him in the draft. And I think he would still say he reached for him, but he's been a mainstay on his roster. He was someone he's relying on week to week and he's putting up a decent amount of points in a sneaky, productive Baltimore offense. They have a lot of pieces there that are fantasy relevant. Who would have thought? And Ryan, Ryan Mountcastle is right in the middle of that. Um, a big intangible for Jimmy is Christian Yelich. And he's been sort of the guy that you thought he would be this week. Um, and he's sort of, maybe he's on the other side of this back injury. So he's starting to put up the points. And if Yelich starts doing that with Jimmy's crowded outfield, you really could be having a very, 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 very dangerous offense. And Yelich could be a huge, huge piece for Jimmy going forward, who has not really gotten going all, all together. So very, very scary. Uh, pitching wise, Trevor Bauer leading the way. Um, he has a nice little piece with Luis Garcia from Houston. Didn't have a great outing uh, his last time out, but for the most part, he's a quality start machine. And he's been a nice for, for Houston's rotation. Uh, Chris Bassett has, I think, two complete games for him this year. Unbelievable. Um, his numbers obviously are padded by the fact that you have that involved in it, but he's been pretty consistent for Oakland. Um, other pieces, too. You got a guy like uh, Robbie Ray who strikes out the world, and he's been pretty consistent for Toronto. His last three outings, he's had above 7.75 points uh, each time a quality start. And Robbie Ray was – someone who was probably passed around altogether for maybe all of last year, but he's been sort of a mainstay on Jimmy's roster uh, throughout this whole year. Um, offense is the main thing from, and he sort of withstood the injuries too. Eloy was someone he was relying on Eloy Jimenez as, as, a, as I'm, you know, I say him by his first name, like I know him. And then Corey Seager is another guy who broke his finger is not going to be back for, for quite some time. So he's doing it and he's getting hot, even though he's having to withstand some of these injuries that we all are. Um, but I'm very impressed with his team. I think from week to week, he's also getting elite production from his closers. If you want to say anyone's getting elite production, Liam Hendricks and Will Smith are sort of like maybe with the best one too, maybe compared to you with Reyes and Chapman, but both these guys are guys that are going out there and, you know, Smith had, a, like I think one blip, if I remember a week ago where he blew a save, but for the most part, he goes out there and pitches well for the Braves. Um, and Hendricks is undisputedly the best closer in baseball. Um, stuff wise, but the White Sox has to give him opportunities to pitch. Um, and I think he'll be there at the end of the year and they're definitely going to lean heavy on him as the, as the summer months get there and Chicago's in a pennant race and they will be, uh, Hendricks is someone who's going to get a lot of save opportunities, um, throughout the year. So I'm impressed with Jimmy's team. I think he's someone who's again, making a statement that's been the, the staple of things and he's getting a lot of production from a lot of different places. It's hard to pinpoint where it's coming from exactly. But when you score 140 points, you're doing something right. Yeah, you know what? So I had Jimmy number one this time. And, um, you know, you might say, oh, how can you put him above Trav? And, I, again, when I do these, I'm thinking about, like, right now, like, who would you be the most – who would you want to play the least, basically? Like, right now, in these next three-week span, like, say it was the playoffs, who would you not want to see? And that's the team I wouldn't want to see right now. Um I, and for a few reasons here. First of all, I'll say, like, Jimmy has struggled for the last few years. Uh, and I think a lot of it's just been management. Like, when you look at the roster, it's a very Jimmy team. And I, I don't know how else to say it, but I feel like uh, for people who have been following his teams over the years, it can you can just get it. Um, and I, I, you talked about Mountcastle before, and I was going to bring that up as well because he did reach for him. Un, no doubt he, he reached for him. But I'll give him a lot of credit for being patient with the guy. 
Um, okay, he's had a nice little hot streak here. I know the last couple days he didn't do much, but before that, had a little hitting streak going. It really came alive. You know his offense is solid as far as Mountcastle goes, if you know anything about the guy. I'll, I'll say I'm in an AL-only league where, like, super thin, right? I had Mountcastle in that league and dropped him, which, and you know, probably a bad move. But to hold on to him in a mixed league, that's some commitment right there. Maybe taking him higher led to that commitment. Like, oh, I can't drop this guy. It's just going to look bad. I don't know. But um, I think the offense really solid right now. Um, and like you said, as far as withstanding the, the injuries for Seager and Jimenez and even Yelich for a long time, like he's finally gotten him back and he's doing the things that you expect him to do. The pitching to me is the question as far as can he stay toward the top and can he continue to chase down Travis? Uh, obviously, Travis is going to have to lose a few for, for Jimmy to be able to catch him, which just isn't happening recently. But um, I will say about his pitching, like there are definitely teams with deeper pitching and for him to stay here and stay at this pace with these point totals he's putting up, he's going to need his top guns to be healthy and performing all year, which we know is not easy. Like guys go down all the time. So a guy like Bauer, which maybe he's the right guy to do it because they talk about him like he's kind of got a rubber arm to pitch every four days if you want him to. He needs to be there all year doing what he does. Um, I The Robbie Ray thing, like you, you probably can't rely on the guy. I know he's been very good, but I feel like at any time he could kind of go back to the other Robbie Ray that we've seen. Aaron Savale, uh, he had a great start this week, and he's been solid all year. Like, And I think he's one of those guys that you can depend on going out there every five days. Um, he's going to have to weather a storm a little bit with pitching injuries here too. Like, Guys that you would not even expect to be rostered before the year, like Danny Duffy and uh, Alzale from the Cubs, those are important pieces for Jimmy now. And he's both of them are on the IL. Um, so as far as them coming back and performing, I think he's going to need. I think he'll need to make a move pitching wise. And again, this is the second or third time I've said it for a team. I think I said it for Bizada before. Now I'm saying it for Jimmy. Man, it. it it's going to be whoever makes the, the best offer to someone who's kind of fallen out of it or for someone who just wants to switch offense and, and for pitching, I guess. But like, I think similar to Bizada where I said, he's got these like top tier kind of prospects that guys might be interested in. If like there's any sellers at the trade deadline, Jimmy's the same way. Mackenzie Gore, Hunter Green, um, even the Mets catching prospect. I know we talked about uh, catching. They don't play every day. But Francisco Alvarez, these are guys that teams will be interested in for their future, a dynasty type of league. Uh, even a guy like Logan Gilbert, who I know is on the main rod, he's, he's not a AAA guy anymore. He's in MLB. MLB had a really nice start today, kind of his coming out party. Um, that could be a piece that Jimmy could move for a more – proven guy that you can kind of depend on you know someone who might not have his innings limited like i'm sure gilbert will so i think jimmy can be creative jimmy's not the easiest guy to trade with uh we talk about people getting attached to their players overvaluing their players i think that's been a criticism of jimmy in the past but man he's got to see his opportunity here he has not made the playoffs in a long long time i'm not saying make any crazy moves and change the team completely but he's i i think he has to add to the pitching staff to be a legitimate contender, even though I put him number one, that's number one right now. Like when you look at the team and think about making it all the way to the end, I don't think he gets there without another starting pitcher.
you sort of alluded to it before. I was going to ask you the question. He has not made the playoffs since 2014, has only made the playoffs two years in his existence. 2014, you want to go back to who was in the league. I think Tyler Eckhoff was in the league in 2014. No, I'm sorry. He was in the league in 2012. Um, the league looked way, way different. The scoring was way different. Moral of the story is he has not made the playoffs since we restructured the league as, as we know it today. Do you think that that plays a part into to like the history? Will that get into his head as time goes on? Do you think he's sort of going to, I'm not going to say choke, but do you feel like it's going to play a factor as he moves further and further as he's becoming a playoff team and the pressure's on him? I don't think so. I, I, I think he, uh, I think he's in a bit of a zone right now. And like I said, I don't think he needs to make any like create like a bunch of moves. I mean, as long as he stays relatively healthy and once, once you hit a certain amount of injuries, you know, your roster starts to look like a mess and it gets tough. But um, I, I think he's been managing so well this year that if he can just find the right time to make that move for a starting pitcher, which is not going to be right now because there's no one's out of it yet. There's, there's not enough reason for anyone to sell right now. But if you wait till closer to the trade deadline, Jimmy's going to have to unattach himself to one of these prospects, like from one of these prospects, maybe multiple, because sometimes that's what it takes since you can't trade draft picks. I, I, I think Jimmy's going to have trouble with that, especially we talked about earlier. We mentioned he's been holding on to Hunter Green and Mackenzie Gore for like, I don't know, like three years or so now, maybe less, but it seems like that. Um, he cannot get attached to that. Cause here's the thing. NA guys this year, even like the studs have performed terribly. Like they haven't given anybody anything really. So like you, you can't get attached to that guy when you have a chance to win a title this year. Um, I, st I still think people are going to be interested in these high profile uh, prospects because all because they've been bad this year when people have come up doesn't mean that'll be the same thing in the future and even the guys that have been bad like a Kalenic and something like that are still going to be probably pretty solid going forward but I think that's a big question can Jimmy finally make a move like that because I, I can't remember a time when he did something along those lines yeah I mean so I have two things to say you brought up the thing about the prospects not performing and that's been drastically different than it has been in the past. I remember years ago, maybe it was two or three years ago, where you had a guy like Reese Hoskins come up or who was the kid from uh, Cincinnati that was hitting home runs nonstop with the weird stance. Oh, Aquino, are, maybe Aquino. Yeah, Aquino. Yeah, Aquino. Guys are coming up and just hitting the ball. Maybe it has something to do with the ball being different or the sticky stuff, and that's a different conversation for a different time. But you're right. The prospects have not been performing. Look at Kalenic. He's as highly touted as a prospect as you can potentially be. And he stunk, stunk up the joint in Seattle and got sent back down. And his bags were packed for him left by the door. So some of these prospects, that may play a part going forward that some of these prospects are going to be going to have to be taking consideration as maybe they won't produce as quickly as they have in the past. You know, I, there always have been those rookies year to year that someone would pick up and they get hot. I can't even think of one guy this year, even like a Kyle Lewis has struggled mightily for, for Bizzotta. There's really none of those guys that have just been like taking the league by storm. It's sort of the established faces that have been doing their thing and maybe career journeymen that have just been hitting the ball. Well, um, hasn't really been the guys that are just like fresh off triple a getting in there. And that may be something to do with the structure of the league and 
the way things are going with pitching and the, the ball. But yeah. Um, the question I want to ask you before we move on from Jimmy is what do you attribute to the difference in the way he's managed team? You said he's managing his team very well. Um, wh- how would you compare that to the difference in the past? Like, do you think he's doing something differently? I would have to ask him, but I do feel like I, I feel like he, he maybe is analyzing certain players a little differently as far as like pickups and things like that. Um, that'd be the only thing. Cause like I said, the, the team is a very Jimmy team as far as some of the guys he has on there. And I feel like he's always been a rather patient owner. Like he doesn't kind of make a, you know, immediate moves. Um, but I feel like maybe he's analyzing some of these guys a little different. Maybe he's using a different website that he never used before or looking at guys a different way. And don't get me wrong, a little luck comes into it. Like, example, Javi Baez would be an example. I feel like I heard he was looking to move him uh, like a month or two ago, and nothing happened. And I feel like Baez took off after that. So that might be just a luck thing. Uh, A guy like Solak, I give him credit for holding on to him. I think he picked him up after I dropped him. Um, And a couple other people dropped him as well. So, again, like being that manager that holds on to the guy at the right time. like a Randall Critchick, who obviously has benefited off the Springer injury. Uh, Yaz, who I think was another guy we thought that maybe Jimmy reached for a little bit. Like, yeah, solid player, but maybe he took him a little early. Cronenworth. Like, these are not big star names, but they just like a nice mix of guys. So I don't know exactly what it is, but something has worked for him this year, uh, especially recently, that uh, didn't in the past. Yeah, he has been watching a lot more baseball. I can notice that just in conversations with him that he's talking about the league in general more. And I think he's been one of those guys. There's been, there's a few guys in this league that can be labeled not homers, but have a skew into your local market where you're like valuing players. I remember the year Jimmy success, but is pretty high. And I know that Perrier tends to like value a lot of Met players uh, pr- pretty high because of the fact that like, there is the appeal of being able to watch them on a, on a nightly basis and having them. And I understand that. If you look at Jimmy's team, he's moved away from that completely. I don't think he owns any Mets. So that's definitely been a different approach for him. Um, there's a lot of guys on the, on his team that, you know, there's really no fandom related to it. It's more just like, how can these guys help me throughout the season? And I don't care how it, I don't care how it happens, but I need to win this year. Um, so that may be playing a, a part in it. Cause I know that in years past, he has been valuing, local players a little bit higher. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same way about that. I think that could definitely be said. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my approach. I stay away from my Mets for the most part. Every once in a while, I'll put one on the squad, but usually I feel like it's a curse, um, at least with me. But yeah, yeah. That If Jimmy's watching more baseball, I certainly think that helps to get to know the league more. I think one of the things that helps me in this league big time is the fact that I've played in an AL, AL only league for, I don't know, like seven or eight years. Now, I remember when I joined that league, I realized quickly I did not know the American League at all. I'm a Mets fan, so I watch more National League baseball. Um, so that helps me kind of know the league a little bit more. I absolutely think knowing a little bit more, watching these players, listening to things that people are saying about them uh, helps for sure. So if that's true about Jim, I think it's helped. I mean, we didn't even mention like he not only is trying, trying to chase down Travis here, still a couple games back, but like I think he would have the points title if it ended today. Yep. So there you go. Um, yeah. All right. Should we reveal the number one? Yep. Not much suspense here, but I'll let you do the honors. 
All right, so coming in at number one, and uh, I guess it's the first time he's actually been in the number one power ranking spot. He's had the one spot uh, in the standings for a few weeks now, I believe. But uh, Travis comes in here at number one, uh, 10 total points, 1.11 average rank. Highest rank was one, lowest rank was two. It's, that's not nice. That's a nice range. Uh, and he moved up one spot, so he moved from two to one. Um, I mean, what can you say, man? Uh, to me, it's consistency. Um, I, again, maybe controversially did not put him in the one spot just because I think Jimmy is that hot team right now that I would, I, I, I would absolutely not want to face right now. Um, but with that being said, Travis has been the most consistent all year long. Uh, I will say I did not love the trade. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he was considering trading a pitcher for weeks and weeks and weeks and probably looked at different deals and stuff like that. And then the trout thing came and it was quick. That's how it seemed like to me. Maybe they had talked about it for a while. I don't know. Um, obviously kind of like I said before with Perrier, how I liked the trade trout can come back and change our feelings about this very quickly. So I'm admitting that completely. Um, I still think the offense, it leaves a lot to be desired as far as, and I, I say that, thinking of him as the number one team for a number one team in the league. I feel like that offense is going to have a hard time living up to that ranking. Um, and the pitching, and I compare this to my team. So earlier in the year, I obviously did the Walker Bueller deal with the Cunha. There was more, you know, there's Rendon and LeMay who were involved as well, but I've felt that obviously I needed a Cunha. I mean, I'm still last in some offensive categories, so it would have been even worse without a Cunha. Um, but I'm still feeling that lesser pitching depth than I would have had with Bueller. And it's tough, man, just taking one pitcher away and then say the next week someone gets hurt, which this, this is kind of what happened to me. Uh, so maybe it's on a personal level. I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it to what I did. So I worry about that a little bit. I feel like the pitching suddenly looks a little more pedestrian, whereas before it looked like far above everyone else. So I wonder, he's more well-balanced now. And obviously once Trout comes back, I know Grisham just came back off the injury list, which is which is nice for him as well. Um, I don't know, man. I, he's consistent. But still, like, the point total doesn't grab your attention like too much. He has had um, – he's definitely had some, some luck here with who he plays week to week and the point total they put up. But with that being said, you got to give it to him. He's been consistent. He's been steady. He pulled the trigger on a move. We won't be able to really, uh, like, truly look at it until the end of the year. But he's got a nice little lead here. Jimmy's going to make it. Jimmy's going to make it so Travis continues to pay close attention. So I don't think it's a negative that someone is coming up towards him. I think it's a positive to really keep him fully engaged. Not to say he wouldn't be. But when you get a four or five game lead, you start to, like, relax a little bit. Jimmy getting hot here is, is going to make it so, so Travis cannot relax. And I think that's a good thing. So I expect Travis to hold this one spot uh, for a little while here. And um, I, I still, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not done making moves yet. I am worried if I'm him about the point output the last few weeks, and I've only been comparing myself to him, but I would have beat him at this point. I know I beat him last week. I would have beat him about six weeks in a row now. And that, and I have more points total than him. So like you mentioned it before, but it can't be understated that he does he has the record and it's padded by the fact that he's playing playing these teams that are scoring 
look at Karen this week, 85 points this week. He, he, he would have lost to a decent amount of teams of the highly ranked teams. He would have lost to Nick. He would have lost to me. He would have lost to Perrier. He would have lost to Bazada, Greg. So majority of the league. And that's not what you want to see. And again, you take the win and you run away with it. And sitting at eight and two, there is a level of his team has been dominant, but for the most part in this slump, and I guess you could sort of reason on the other side of it during this slump, he has gotten away with the wins and he eventually will get to the point where he's putting up the points. He was in the beginning of the year. I touched on it during the podcast and I'm not sure Devin, if you listened to the whole thing, but I, the more I think about the Woodruff trade, he took what was a certainty on his team and replaced it with a question mark. You never want to do that. He's joining the pack where we're all sitting there. We have question marks on our team. When is this guy coming back? Is he going to be okay? Is he going to re-injure himself? Where Brandon Woodruff was a certainty, you rolled him out once a week, maybe twice a week, and you knew what you were getting. If he was going to make a move by trading Woodruff, I knew he was trading one of them, either Nola or Woodruff. We would have been, in my opinion, I thought he was going to move him for somebody that would help you right now and continue on this run. So I thought maybe he would go for a center fielder or an outfielder or a general that would help him right now. And again, when you have a chance to get Trout, it's hard to pass it up, especially for like on paper in the beginning of the year. Would Bizzotta and Perrier, I mean, uh, would Travis and Perrier have made that deal? Trout for Woodruff? Absolutely not, because Trout is a generational player and he's been the top of the line as far as fantasy producers go. But we don't know if Trout's ever going to come back the same this year. The Angels are not being competitive, despite me in the playoff predictions saying they're going to win the AL West. They're not. They're they're struggling. It wouldn't shock me to be like, you know what? Let's give him more time. They don't care about Travis's fantasy team. They're going to put him. <laughs> they're going to put him on the IL and leave him there. And it, it could be it could be weeks until we see him. And then when he comes back, if there's a little snag again with the calf, there you go. That's it. And Travis could have just removed Woodruff from his roster and took what was a super strength and turned into like sort of like a semi strength. And I'm okay with trading the pitcher to get offense, but I would have traded it for an offensive player that would have helped you right now. And there was a point in time. And I understand like you want to go back to the early in the season. He didn't want to make the decision. I offered him Tatis Jr. for Aaron Nola straight up. And I probably regretting that move because no, Nola had a great outing today. But Nola has not been nearly the ace that Philadelphia needs him to be or even Travis wants him to be. But he could be sitting here with – can you imagine Travis's offense? It kind of puts oh, lipstick on the whole thing. Yeah, he he's got yeah. to think about that and be like, God damn. Like, I know it's hard to pull the trigger on deals like that, big deals like that early, but oof, that's – But even like yeah. Lindor too. Like, I would have traded him Lindor, and he could be sitting here. Lindor's on the upward swing. He's figuring things out. Even having Lindor in that lineup and being able to slot him in, because Lindor plays every day and he's starting to hit for power again. He's starting to hit the extra base hits. Even Lindor for Nola, like I don't think I would do that deal now. On the other side of it, now that I'm seeing like sort of reaping the results of holding on to Lindor, I don't think I would do it now. And you know, he has to be sort of kicking himself. Maybe not. Maybe he has the maybe he's confident that Trout will come back. But if he doesn't he could have wasted an opportunity to really bolster what would have been, you know, a really, really strength, a strength in his team. And I don't know, that's just me. And again, it's easy to sit here now on the outside of the trade and have a conversation about it. But like you said before, having Patrick wisdom and Ahmed Rosario in the middle of your lineup and your number one ranked team, something's not going to hold up. 
And yeah, I think, that's the thing. There's there's too many guys in that in that lineup where I'm like, all right, well, that's not going to last that long. You know, wisdom. Who knows how long this little hot hot streak like goes on? I'm 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 Ned Rosario's still there. Like, uh, I don't know. Judge, like this guy is in one week and then out the next week. I know he's great when he's in there, but even a Joey Gallo, where does he end up? Like, he's probably going to be traded. Um, does he stay healthy? Is he going to strike out a million times in front of a new crowd? Like say he goes to New York, whether it's the Mets, or the Yankees, is he the kind of guy who performs there or is he striking out four times a game? Um, there's a, the offense that just leaves a lot to be desired, especially with the trout question mark and to touch on what you said, if he comes back, like half injuries are a bitch, man. Like you saw Josh Donaldson, uh, deal with that even a little bit in the beginning of this year, that's been going on for like two years. And he's got to go play the outfields and chase that. Like that thing can snag you real quick. And if he, it happens to him again, unless they're in like a super close pennant race, they're going to shut him down if it happens again. So I, I know those are big ifs, but I, 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 the offense still needs something. And I don't know if he's willing to trade any more pitching for it. Probably not. Um, and even, even little things like Christian Javier, who was actually like a pretty good starting pitcher most of the year. He's not in the rotation anymore now that they have their guys back, which is a little unfair to him. But now he's like a bulk uh, guy out of the bullpen. Like, so you still might get some decent things from him, but he's definitely not as appealing as he used to be. Um, Enola, I know he had a good start today, but like you said, hasn't been the guy you want him to be. How long is Austin Gomber and Alex Wood going to contribute to your team? I don't know. Dylan Seas has been great. I wonder what the White Sox plan with him is. He's still a young guy. Like, do they have a, a little bit of an innings limit on him? And then obviously the, the big thing, the Garrett Cole thing, like we're still trying to figure out how affected by this whole sticky stuff situation. Yeah. I was about to ask be. you about that. It's a good point because if Garrett Cole is even affected a little bit, it really brings down Travis's pitching staff a whole lot because Trav, uh, Garrett Cole has been carrying his pitching staff over the finish line. And you take away Woodruff from the equation, you need Cole to keep up the pace and maybe even sticky stuff or no sticky stuff, it's hard to keep the pace he was putting up for quite some time there where he was going out there and striking out double digits and he's he throws a quality start every time he's out there. Um, so in my opinion, he's really putting a lot of pressure on himself to make sure that move is the right move to make because there really is going to be no help on the way. And like once you remove pitching from it, there's no pitching coming back. You're not going to discover this gem on the waiver wire and he's going to be there for you. And even like his prospect pitchers, like you think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be here this year? No, that's not happening. And then uh, Tanner Hook, I don't think he's even, I think he's in double A. So it's like, oh, he was up here for a little bit, but he didn't pitch well at all. So like, it's not like he has this guy that's like waiting. Even Kenta Maeda, who was on the IL, was horrible this year. So who's supposed to come back to the 14th, uh, by the way? So hopefully Travis made the appropriate roster move. Um, it's to me like the move looks good if it works out for him, but it could look really, really bad if indeed uh, it doesn't go well and Trout sits on sits on the aisle all year. And it's not like it's an injury that, like you said, can be overcome quickly. It's something he has to build up the strength again. And it's not like he's a guy who just like stands on first base. He's roaming the outfield and the way he plays, he's stealing bases. He's extending from second to third. He's always in move. He's always in motion. So if Trout is hundred percent, right. You need him to be able to run around and the calf thing could limit that. And who knows if he's right until he has, maybe he has, maybe he has to sit it out the rest of the year and figure it out. And the angels are in no hurry. Like I said before, 
They're in they're, if they're not competitive by the time September August hits, they can be like, screw it, let's put the guy in the IL and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna risk our franchise player in a meaningless game in September or August, you know? Yeah, I mean I have faith in a guy like Mike Trout. Like, I do think he has some clout where he can say, like, no, I'm coming back and playing. Like, I'm, I don't want to sit out the rest of the year. Um, but like you kind of mentioned, like, some of the parts of his game are going to have to be toned down a little bit. Because, like I said, man, and I can speak from experience. I know I'm not even close to professional athletes, so it's like a different, uh, different thing. But I've had, like, leg injuries like this, and it's just one – leads to the fucking next to the next to the next it just seems like all right so the calf's good and all of a sudden your hamstring tightens up because you're compensating either on the other side or you're compensating with this muscle so like not to get into all the physical stuff but it's a little worrisome with that being said it's crazy that we are kind of criticizing someone that just trouted for i mean traded for the uh maybe the best player in the game we've said for years now like how can someone like tear uh trout away from perrier and it finally happened and we're like oh good move yeah it's it's true uh i never thought we'd be saying it but especially like woodruff like you and i sat next to each other at the draft and you kept on we kind of both were saying like i know like woodruff is like supposed to be taken here but i just don't want to take him like i hope he's taken before me so like we don't feel like we have to take him there and now woodruff was traded for mike trout like it's pretty crazy and i know there is it wasn't a one for one deal, right? There was there other guys. There was other yeah, guys, Mar- right? Carrasco. Mullins was involved to kind of secure it up, and I believe that was it on coming back to uh, to Perrier. I think he dropped the guy that that he picked up. I think it was right. just a move. So it was Mullins that he got in replacement. So Mullins has been pretty good, but he sat on the waiver wire all year. He's been a, a steady outfielder that's been there, but no one really wanted to pick him up. And I think Perrier picked him up and just moved him. And he's filled in nice for Travis, but that's not the guy you want for Brandon Woodruff. Right. Well, I mean, with all this being said, it's like we're sitting here tearing uh, Travis' team down. But the point is, and he's probably listening, like, going to listen to this be like, what the fuck? Like, I'm number one. I'm getting killed right now. But uh, the, the point is, he's he's been the best team in the league. And now comes the hard part of staying there. Uh you know, Alicia had her shot at it and she's fallen and probably lucky to even have the top spot in her division at this point. Um, and now we'll see if Trav can do it. Like lucky or not, like the trade or not, he's there right now. Everyone else is kind of like those middle records close to five and five. And he's going to be eight and two. Like that's got to feel good. Um, I think the thing that will put him over the top is if we see some point totals that are a little more impressive. Then I don't think we would be doubting it as much 100 percent. and before we move on for travis i have a question for you after this too um but travis want to say congratulations on i'm not sure if everyone saw on instagram but he is a father to be so that will be coming around the christmas season so congratulations travis so that was awesome and i'm very happy for you and uh your fiance tisha so i'm excited to celebrate that next time i see you and also if everyone didn't know that travis is getting married uh on august 12th which happens to be our trade deadline so um, there'll be some conversations maybe happening at the wedding over some drinks, talking about the trades that maybe happened that day. So, um, sort of happenstance that that date happened because Yahoo sets it for us. Um, but August 12th is the day Travis is getting married and the trade deadline will be happening. So again, congrats, Trav. Yeah. Congratulations. I didn't know what everyone was saying that for. I was confused. Um, 
but I did see later on Instagram, I was able to find it. So congratulations. That's awesome news. I was, I was nine beers deep and I'm like, what did I miss? Like who's joining the league? Like I, did I miss something? Like I was very confused, but um, I have known for a little bit. He had told me, but it was awesome to see that he made it public on Instagram. So um, the thing I want to ask you about uh, Devin is just quickly, what are your feelings on the dynasty thing? And I know Perry wanted to speak to it a little bit himself. What are your feelings about moving further and further towards dynasty? And what do you think would tip as to too many keepers? Um, so, yeah, I'm on the fence on this one. I, when, when they first came up, I was like, no, in my head, I was no, 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 no. Like that's, we already extended it last year. Um, I don't necessarily hate the idea of one more, but I think we should be careful at going any further than that. Um, I also don't think we should, I think you had mentioned in a certain circumstance of like expanding the rosters too. I don't like that either. I feel like the rosters are big enough. And I always, I always think about that related to the waiver wire and how thin the waiver wire can be at times. So I, I think we should be careful with that. This is just my opinion. I think the suggestion was we did an under five-year player last year. That was the new piece. What was the suggestion this time? Like now add an under three-year player. Yep. So have guys that you can potentially keep all the way through and have a system. So you'd have your four uh, potential NAs, an under three-year keeper, an under five-year keeper, a regular position player, and a pitcher. So I think that would so, be fair, in my opinion. I don't hate that part, and I'll tell you why. I think, and maybe this is flawed reasoning, but I think that could potentially add more interest in trading again. The hardest thing about trading this league is that draft picks are not available to be traded, which I think is a great thing. I think it makes the league special, especially in baseball. Um, but sometimes it is frustrating. It like, God damn, like I need to make a move. There's clearly people that have to be sellers based on their record at this time. And there's just not many ways to do it, especially if certain managers aren't really interested in NAs. So I think the under three year and like the multiple categories of types of keepers does give you more options when you try to uh, talk to someone about a trade, like in the example I'd give is if we had this under three year player and you go to a team that, you know, has fallen out of it, but they're pretty set with keepers, but Hey, they don't really have a guy that fits into that under three year category. So maybe now you can move a piece like that for something instead of moving an NA because maybe they're set at NAs already. Like NAs can just kind of be picked up through the year. So a lot of times teams are set there by the trade deadline. They've already got four guys that are, you know, worthy of keeping for the next year. So I do like it when I think about it like that. I think if it adds to the ability to trade come trade deadline and be creative, I like that. But I, I don't think we should go further than that. At least as of now, I don't think we should go further than that. Maybe my opinion will change on that. But um, I'm definitely open to the under three year uh, keeper as of now. Yeah, I think we'll definitely put it to a vote. I want to have Perrier on here to have a conversation about it because it was sort of his brainchild a bit uh, in conversation. He wanted to get on here two weeks. I think it was supposed to be last week. Um, but I think the delicate balance, like you mentioned before, is not making the draft irrelevant. And if we if we start to add too many pieces, if it's the draft sort sort of becomes like this supplemental piece of the league that it really was the integral part i think once we started doing the live in-person draft is when the league started to take off and the relationship started to happen from the different people in the league and starting the conversation it started 
to really build into what we have now. So if we start robbing the league, it sort of becomes just this event that happens, but nothing, there's not much contingent on it. It almost is like if you have a team that already built their roster, you really don't have to worry about planning for the draft. I think there is some, some level of the league and it's, its success depends on making sure the draft is still fun and make sure that people have like a semi reset button. If they feel like their team is not in the model that they like it. I like the, the blend. I really think the blended version of it is the perfect version because I'm in a football league that you keep every player and we do the rookie draft. And I honestly don't like it because if you're like, I inherited a team and I don't like the landscape of how I'm trying to rebuild this team. And it takes years to rebuild this team. And I'm seeing that I have the first overall pick coming up, but I'm seeing it's going to take years for me to get to a point where I'm happy with the way it looks. And the draft is completely irrelevant. We don't even get together for it. So, um, you know, I don't want to ever make the draft irrelevant is my point. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that point. I don't think one extra keeper would make it irrelevant, especially with it being specifically an under three year player, because obviously that lessens the category, like how many guys fit into there. Um, and I, I'd say like, it'll still, the draft will still be special and the draft will go a tiny bit quicker too. Like we always say, man, that was like a long thing. And I think it's a good thing. Like it's a fun night or day whenever you do it. Um, but I don't think it's harmful. And the good thing about it is if for some reason the year goes by and we're like, eh, I didn't really like that. Or, or I don't know, something happens because of it that we didn't think of. You can always just get rid of it. Like it's, it's not something that has to just stick forever. Um, yeah, I understood I, completely. I think that's, that's the mindset we should always have. And I love how involved everybody is with the decision-making. So um, I'm open to putting that for a vote. And as soon as, you know, obviously – maybe the all-star break will, will have a conversation in person about it. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what everyone else says. I, I know obviously you, you and Perrier talks about it, but I, I haven't, I feel like I haven't heard anyone else really chime in yet. Absolutely. And that brings us to potentially the all-star game. I know everyone has been seeing people and that we've all been together and doing stuff that makes that the all-star game should be happening this year, as far as a league event. So I know that everyone sort of lives f- further away. We have done Howard's in the past. It's sort of been the league staple, but I'm open to other ideas of doing another place to watch the game. I'm just looking forward to maybe getting together because that's been like really the hub of our trade talks, sort of our winter meetings. And I think it's important to, I'll put it out there and plan an event around it. Yeah, man, I, I'm just, I'm so interested to know what the landscape of the league is going to be when the deadline comes around. Like it's like the first time, and I've said it a few times tonight, but like, first time I, I could see it coming around and there really being no clear sellers. So I, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like or if there's going to be any obvious um, partners there. But like I said, hopefully we do a trade deadline special or something like that or a rumor mill and get some things uh, stirred up. Yeah, I would love to do that. And obviously we'll make that happen before August 12th. Uh, looking at the Fridays involved, probably the Friday before would be the best because August 12th is a Thursday, so we can have the special on the Friday. Maybe we'll get people a little motivated to make a trade if we can play matchmaker. Um, but, yeah, I think that would be something to look forward to for sure. Uh, did you check out NXT TakeOver at all tonight, or you just been uh, just talking to me without it on? I did not watch any – any. nope, not at all. <laughs> I, I just put it on right now because the replay is available on Peacock, so I'm interested. I saw the end. 
Um, I won't say who won if you're interested in watching. I saw the finish to the main event, but gotcha. Um, yeah, I have many thoughts about wrestling that we can have. We could talk forever, but I think we're going to end it here because we went really further over the hour mark. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate you joining me, Devin. And I will be returning to you guys with the power rankings in five weeks. So we'll see where everyone is landing by then. Just one last thing. Breaking news. Travis has dropped Patrick Wisdom. Uh, would he hear us talking about him? <laughs> happened three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> With that, Patrick Wisdom has been dropped, and we will join you next week on the Commission's Rap. Well, I'll be by myself, so Devin won't be here. It will just be me joining you on the Commission Rap Up Show. Thanks for listening, guys. I really do appreciate it. I'm back at my home base for this episode, and it felt good to record in the comfort of my own suburban Long Island apartment and not some dingy New Hampshire comfort inn. The league continues to impress in ways of keeping parity alive, and it's making it harder to figure out who will truly be a seller come the August 12th deadline. I'll be joining you next week with a traditional wrap-up show with all things Week 11. Until then, your commission's out.